Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. Well, first of all, I want to say this is a special pleasure. Uh, we have very unspecial, very unspecial, very special guests, uh, some of whom have been with us before, some of whom are very much new to us. But uh, I can't what that is. Okay. Uh, I think I dealt with that. I believe we have John Sigler with us. Are you there, John? Oh, let's see. Let's see if I John I may have just muted you. That may have been you. Is that uh okay, let's try that again. Is that you there, John? Yes, sir. Excellent. Okay. And I believe we've also been joined by the one, the only Mr. Shane Alexander. Yeah. I uh, finally got into me a couple of tries, but uh, it's good to be on to talk a little football for the Senior Bowl. It's calm before the storm, if you will. Exactly. And let's see. Of course, Jim Coburn. And there's somebody I don't recognize. Let me think figure who this might be. Uh, somebody from, like, west of Havre de Grace, Maryland, maybe? Ah, okay. That's the person who's. Hello. Vehicle. Hello. Hello. Yeah, this is Anthony Cloyer. Oh, okay, Anthony, you're a day early. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I got. I, well, I got the one for you. How eager you are. Okay, so I'll briefly introduce you, and then I'll let you get out from under that vehicle. Um, okay, cool. Or whatever that is, you're trapped under. Uh, so the Anthony's going to be with us tomorrow morning uh, for the uh, CBS Pro Prospects Radio Show. And he's so darn eager, he decided to hop in briefly on doing the draft. Uh, DeAnthony, for those who aren't familiar with you, tell people a little bit about you and then tell them what they can expect when they have you on tomorrow. Well, um, this is my last year. you got to excuse me. I'm at the airport. I'm actually flying in uh, um, Atlanta, just flew in Atlanta. Uh, for yeah. Um, so I've, I've been in between states right now. Um, my next goal right now, again, you know, just like everyone else around the country is, is to get in the regional combines and uh, and, and really uh, blow those combines up with the numbers and so forth. Right now, I've just been training. I'm working with a group of great guys right now um, in Virginia. Um, Eddie Mason used to play for the Russian Americans. So, so Very familiar really with Eddie Mason. He was rocked up in his day. I don't know what he looks like now, but he was a piece of just a giant ball of muscle back in the day. Yeah, well, he, he can run about a thousand, a thousand miles a lot, a lot, a lot now. So he, he's a, he's much more of a runner now. He has that runner body now. So. Oh, he's swimming. He's swimming down then. Yeah, tell tell him. Tell him I said. Tell him I said. Hey, I, re, I I ran into him. I won't say how many years ago because it would make us both sound old. But several, <laughs> several years ago. Uh, let him know I said hello. So, uh, Anthony, I will talk to you tomorrow. At, if you're on the East Coast, it'll be about 11.30 a.m. your time. 11.30? Yes, sir. 
All right. Well, appreciate it, man. Again, appreciate your time and, and have fun. No problem. Man. We'll have you tomorrow morning. Thank you. Right. So that's that's an eager young man. Uh, okay. So that's uh, back to Senior Bowl talk. So I'll open with um, our special guest, which is Sigler, and then I'll bring you in, Shane. Well, the Senior Bowl is a combination football family reunion, uh, actual, you know, all-star game, but mostly, largely, uh, it's about the practices, and that's where a lot of these players get exposed, one, to, you know, guys who are going to be future professionals, being exposed to professional coaching, and obviously they get exposed to, you know, as they, as they call it sometimes, drinking from the fire hose. Things come at them pretty quickly. They're expected to get ready to play a game nearly in three full practices and a walkthrough. But talk about your observations and any particular prospects that jumped out at you. Yeah. Um, let's see. Probably the best experience I had uh, as an observer was getting to watch Dallas Cowboys uh, Coach Rod Marinelli. Marinelli, Rod Marinelli of a yeah, 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 yeah. Getting to see him watch, or getting to see him coach up the great defensive line group we had with the North team this week was a great experience. Um, he did a lot of good work with those guys. Uh, he he's he's a great legendary positional coach, as we all know, and so I learned a lot so far as what to look for in a prospect, what to, uh, what coaches can actually do to help develop them. Um, so far as pad level, hand usage, um, all, all these technical things that, that was very illuminating for sure. Um, one guy who stood out to me frequently was uh, Matt Ioannidis. I think that's how you say Ionidis. it. Yes. Yeah. It's a Greek name, but yes. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's the defensive tackle from Temple. Um, he, at times, he looked like the strongest player on the field. Um, he just, and I don't think he made as many splashy plays like as guys like Sheldon Rankins or Noah Spence did. But on from one snap snap to the next, he was constantly just bulldozing guys, holding ground, mm-hmm. uh, doing all these things you look for for an interior lineman. It was great. Oh, or a five technique. I mean, he smells like Brett Kiesel to me. He's what, like six four and a quarter? Which I guess is yeah, a little like on the shorter side, but four or five. But I think he could. I mean, he's long and strong. I think he'll pull it off. Oh yeah, yeah. He was the guy that caught my eye. Um, let's see who else. Uh, Braxton Miller. That he was the player of the week by a whole account. Um, <laughs> getting to see him actually get out and show what he can do as a receiver that that was very intriguing. Um, and he showed and he feisty too. He showed some some fight. Yeah, that was great to see. He doesn't lack for confidence, which may be something some you may have concerns about for a player who's transitioning positions. Um, he, no issues there at all. Uh, who let's see who else? Uh, Tyler Irvin running back from from yes. San Jose State. Yeah, dude, dude looked electric out there. Um, <laughs> he. It was nice to see that he still has that mobility we saw at the collegiate level after adding on some more weight. Um, he looks pro-ready, to be honest. So, very impressive Excellent. young running back. Yeah, I'm, I'm a – as you – if you don't already know, I'm a huge fan, and I've been bothering other people about that. <laughs> so, I'll oh, try no. to contain myself. Um, 
Same question for you, Shane. Uh, once again, what things stood out to you, and what were some of the things that you'll carry away as lasting impressions? Well, unfortunately, I didn't get to go down for the practice this week. I'm actually headed down to Mobile right now. Uh, best I could do is watch um, on uh, Watch ESPN and follow it via Twitter. But uh, I was, you know, elated to hear that Sheldon Rankins was having such a good week uh, before he unfortunately had to pull out. He's a guy that I highlighted a few months ago on a podcast. I've followed him, you know, very closely this this past season, and it's sort of heresy to mention the term Aaron Donald, but I'm not copying him, Aaron Donald, but play style, you know, in that you know, yeah. in that reference point. Play style is the same way that Donald's going to win, an undersized three technique. Um, Rankins lives in the backfield. I was really glad to hear that he, you know, made money before he ultimately had to pull out. Um, it was good to hear Braxton Miller, like, um, like was just said. I think that guy is just too good of an athlete not to succeed at the next level. I know the Randall Cobb comp comes easily, but that is a nice one, I think. Um, Loved hearing Noah Spence showed out, a guy that I've really liked for the past couple of years. And if you compartmentalize off-field with just on-field athleticism, he's going to really perform well at the combine, I think. Um, Justice Mosqueda had a really nice tweet about him yesterday that said, you know, his short arms, he counteracts that by doing a one-armed bull rush, so he makes himself longer. I think he's an ideal 34 outside linebacker in a 3-4. Um, and then Sterling Shepard. He's a guy that I've kind of christened as my uh, wide receiver, too. And it's one of those things where you want to feel good about it, you keep putting it out there, but then once he shows up and actually does it and he kind of solidifies your confidence, then it just kind of brings everything together. I'm really looking forward to seeing him tomorrow. Um, and lastly, the quarterbacks. Carson Wentz uh, really doesn't have as much game experience or has about similar game experience as Cardell Jones, who's looked at a little bit differently. So to see Wentz come well, down there. Uh, he's a little more experienced than Cardale. <laughs> well, the past couple of years, you know, he he, uh, he started all of last year, but then he gets hurt this year. And then as far as passes yeah. thrown is actually what I'm getting at. You know, he, oh, passes he hasn't really thrown, okay, many, okay. Yeah, he hasn't thrown as many passes as you would think for a quarterback that has won as Oh, it's a run-heavy team. No, I know, I know exactly right. who we've yeah. seen almost his entire career. He started 22 games, but if you count playoff games. But you're right. They throw the ball about 22 to 26 times a game. They're not. Right. They're not so running he, shoot, you know, he's dude. He's going to make that count. And so to see him go down to, to Mobile and actually throw the ball and, and do the things that you know you need to see the quarterback, the boxes they need to check. It was good to hear that he really kind of lived up to the hype. I still don't know how I feel about him personally. I'm still rounding that out, but he obviously did make great strides this week. And then. Um, from everything I gathered, Jacob Coker was the second most impressive quarterback. And I'm really not su surprised. Um, you know, he's a big-bodied, athletic kid who he joked before the national championship game that said, I was always considered an athlete until I got to Bama, and I was a sneaky athletic guy. Um, he can throw the ball. I think he's a guy you're going to have to draft later because he needs development. He is, you know, he needs game reps and experience. But it was good to hear him uh, kind of shine. Um and then lastly, just, you know, really quick, uh, Jaron Reed, the, the defensive lineman from Alabama, Phil Savage kind of prefaced his week and said, I think he can play in any front um, throughout, you know, nose guard all the way out to five tech. Then Jaron Reed gets to the senior bowl and lives up to that kind of uh, hype from Phil. So uh, I'm anxious to see him tomorrow as well. It's that South defense, and I'm not going to call those guys off name by name, but the South defense <laughs> is absolutely loaded with guys. 
So that'll probably be who I key on the most tomorrow. And Mr. Jim Coburn, my metrical maven and, of course, my favorite co-host. What is, first of all, for a guy who does what you do, what does the Senior Bowl mean? And then secondarily, who are some of the players that intrigue you most? What does the Super Bowl mean? Well, I mean, to me, it's the first look at how these guys look like measurable-wise. Uh, you know, they, you get to see their actual height, their actual weight, and it's mm-hmm. not BS. <laughs> you know, like it's <laughs> no more, which I think is always funny is every year, you know, somebody goes, oh, my gosh, I thought he was six foot three. No, no, nope. six one. Uh, you know, nope. there's lots of stuff like that happens. Uh it's just to get a good idea, you know, exactly what they are. And of course, arm length. First stuff gets brought up uh, as well. And there's some significance depending on the position. I mean, not every position is as important, but certain positions it is. And there's definitely a point of diminishing returns uh, with every position when it comes to stuff like that. So you just want to make sure that they don't, you know, have like 27-inch arms, and, you know, stuff like that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> or deformities. You know, in terms of you know, like well, I can play football, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. uh, other than that, I mean, I think it's what I when I went to the senior senior bowl back in 2014 during Donald class. To me, what happened on the practice field wasn't as important as what was happening in team meetings. You know, in mm. terms of what scouts were doing with players and, and talking to them and interviewing them and getting the first sort of sense of what these guys are like. You know, as, as everybody shows up, the first thing you always see is scouts handing them a little brochure to fill out, you know, like, what do you, you know, like, like what's your name, what's your birthday, all that kind of stuff, yep. you know. Uh, do you have a girlfriend, you know, that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> Is your girlfriend real? Exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, it, I think a lot of us do that. The practices, of, of course, are important to the certain extent that if you do really well, it definitely something to it's a little feather, put it in your cap. Uh, and, of course, a GM. As I tell most people, when you're basically sitting close to the GM of the Rams and then you see Aaron Donald flip offensive tackle over onto his hind parts and the, and the GM of the Rams goes, whoa. You know, that sticks with a guy. Yeah, and, of course, if you go back right. and watch the tape of Aaron Donald, you go, wow, this is great. And, oh, he tested amazingly. Kind of makes sense why they drafted him that high. You know what I mean? Like, you develop uh, – again, it's mostly developing an emotional connection. This is the first time a lot of these players are starting relationships. The NFL is about relationships. Can I trust you? Are you, you know, are you willing to fight for me? All this kind of stuff. So – uh, I think that that's kind of where the bigger aspects of it are. In terms of what they do during the practice, I don't put a ton of stuff into the practices 100% just because, again, it is practice. Uh, a lot of these guys, I know a lot of people go, oh, well, yeah, I think Ryan Real actually coming down to the fact that he did the Shrine game and he was just spent at the end of the season, you know, mm-hmm. just completely drained and just like oh, my back hurts, my legs hurt. I have a hyperextended knee. I'm limping everywhere. And then people just comment, you know, Ryan Riddle, he doesn't – I don't know if he cares about football. 
as much as these other people do. That's <laughs> right. So, like, exactly. <laughs> I'm beat up, man. I had an entire college football season, and now yep. I'm, you know, at this event, and I'm, 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 I'm hurting. I'm trying. I'm trying, but I'm hurting right now. So, yeah, there, there's a little bit of that too as well. But I mean, you know, and and also the uh, the thing I usually tell people is that not all these players that they're going up against are NFL players. You know, some of them are. Some of them aren't. Some of them could most likely are. A good chunk of these guys are going to get drafted, as always, because it's the first place they get that relationship. But that's really all I really take from it. I mean, I could watch practices. It's always nice to kind of, you know, go, oh, look, look, you know, look what this guy did here and stuff like that. But I think in terms of importance, it's really just the, the first of all, the relationships that the players develop with, with NFL teams. And then secondarily, it's the first time you actually get the actual factuals about measurements and stuff like that, which you start to get an idea of did they reach the cutoff point, did they not, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it gives you more stuff to look at and look into after uh, after everything's done. Yeah, it, a lot of snap judgments take, I mean, obviously – I guess the term people like to use nowadays is hot takes. A lot of those things uh, start hitting us, obviously, during things like the, the Senior Bowl and NFLPA and East-West or whatever. And the funny thing is, though we make fun of, you know, various members of draft Twitter, the crazy thing is NFL coaches, you know, who should know better, sometimes do the exact same thing. But they have the disadvantage of they live in a bubble. They they don't see these guys. They've they're busy trying to figure out how to stop Julio Jones, how to stop Rob Gronkowski, how to score on the Panthers, all the stuff that NFL coaches are actually trying to figure out, how to get this backup guard to play right tackle because I've lost three right tackles in the past two games. Um, they're doing all that kind of stuff. They don't see much college football. I think one of the funny things you actually sit down when you're around at the Combine or at these events, is to see how many of these guys are brand spanking new. I used to, probably many of, I don't know how you guys, but maybe I shouldn't assume, but I used to think as a youngster that these guys knew so much football. I mean, they do, they know so much football. But I mean, that they knew the players. And it, it was a shock to me to learn that I knew many of the players way better than NFL coaches do because, once again, they live in the bubble. They don't, they might catch the occasional, you know, might be a bye week Saturday or whatever. They, they catch four or five games. They might, if they have a kid who's in college, you know, hey, my son plays at Montana. I'm going to fly out on the bye week and see it, see my kid play. It's, oh, hmm, that kid he's playing against is killing my son. But what's his name again? I mean, whatever it is. So occasionally they, you know, but that's almost by accident that coaches see players prior to this. So for them, it's, hello there, sir. You know, it's, it's sort of a, which is why it's so important when a team, as Jerry um, uh, Jones put it, uh, earns the right to coach these players uh, through, you know, the kind of year they've had. But it's important because you get to really know those guys. And you get that earlier on than you would have if your team was making a Super Bowl run, right? So the teams are still playing football. They're really playing. I mean, their scouts obviously are doing their their due diligence as well. But I mean, you know, scouts don't have to worry about the other stuff. They have to worry about scouting. But the coaches 
are really playing catch-up. Because, you know, if your team's in the Super Bowl, you see nothing <laughs> until basically the combine. And, you you know, they, you watch the practice tape. You watch the – I mean, they tape all these things, the NFLPA and Tropic Bowl and whatever thing you want to mention, they're all taped. Um, so all the NFL teams, and they pay more attention to some of these, you know, all-star games than others. Um, Shane, I know you have to run soon, so let me, let me hit you once more before you go. Um, were there things that you did not see that you wanted to see from particular players? But did you lose Shane already? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just checking. Where Shane had to run? Sorry, my connection cut out for a minute. No, that's okay. That wasn't. No, that's okay. Yeah, no, Shane had to run. That's fine. Um, well, then I'll come back to you, John. Were there things you did not see that you wanted to see? whether it be a particular player being used a certain way or maybe something that you were hoping a player would show you or, or anything that you wanted to see that you didn't get a chance to see? Yeah. Um, there were guys I had some concerns about going into this that I feel like got verified, maybe. Um, okay. Two, two of the Ohio State guys, uh, Adolphus Washington and Nick Bannett, the Washington the defensive tackle, um, he seemed to be kind of overhyped by some by various outlets, I guess, going in, going into senior role week as a first-round draft pick, as a, as a top 50 talent in the class, as one of the better defensive tackles. But every it, it seemed like every time I saw him at practice, he was eating turf. Um, like he couldn't maintain his balance. He couldn't stay upright. It, he looked outmatched by most of the offensive linemen he went up against. With Bennett, um, I, I'm not sure how much receiving ability he really has. He wasn't used much at Ohio State. So we don't have a lot of context to work with. But in this environment, he didn't seem to have much ability to separate. He didn't pull away from linebackers and coverage well. Um, he didn't seem to have that creative hands. I, was, I, I really wanted to see him show off some receiving ability so that we could say, okay, yeah, his metrics aren't that great from college because he wasn't used much, kind of like O.J. Howard. But there is that potential there. I, I was hoping we would be able to say that about him, and I'm not sure that, that we can at this point. Um, hmm. Another guy I was hoping to see a lot from was um, let's see, Michigan State wide receiver Aaron Burbridge. I, was, uh, I yeah, really we, liked He's I a possession what receiver. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think people got hmm. it into their heads he was something that he was. But he's a good player. He just isn't. He's not going to make a lot of big plays at the next level, though. Right. But I just I saw some things both in practice reps uh, and drills that made me question how good of a possession receiver he can be. Um, <laughs> okay. He had, he had some concentration drops uh, on the first uh, day of practice. They were doing some blocking drill, and he it was his turn to hold the blocking pad, and he lost it. Like he set the pad down and could not locate it in time to start the drill. So they had to wait for him to turn around and find the pad and pick it up. And well, get into this. Yeah. I mean, I was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was watching and I was like, it's, it's, it's right beside you, sir. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not oh, trying oh. to tear, I'm not trying to tear the kid apart or anything, but concentration issues, especially on the stage, he said it for, if you're, calling card is being known as a possess, possession receiver, um, someone who can reliably 
throw it up down the sideline and they'll get it. Right, it's third, it's third and seven. We got to have it. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you're misplacing uh, pads. <laughs> I mean, yeah. during practice. I've never heard that way before. That's John. Thank you for that because I've never heard anybody else mention that. You're as far as I know, the only person who's ever mentioned that. That's interesting. I've never heard yeah, of that well, before. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I hope I'm not overplaying it. I guess, but and I would, I still think Burbridge will be a fine player. It was just one of those little things you pick up on that you may not be able to if you're not there at practice, you know. And this wasn't day one. I mean, it wasn't like just nerves or something, right? It may have been. I mean, it may have been that he's with a, a coaching staff that's different from the one he's had the last four years. Um, it could be that. It's just a new situation. It could have been the weather. I mean, we had just had a little uh, shower run through. So maybe, maybe it, it could have been the it. weather. Didn't this guy just come from playing four years in East Lansing, Michigan? Yeah, you would think. I'm just <laughs> I'm just trying to think of what it may have been. I mean, maybe it's an anomaly. I don't know. Sure. Any, but, I mean, it, it is it is something that I would definitely put a little note in my book, like, hmm. You know, whether it be they just freaked out, which you don't love as an evaluator, um, or whether it be that, you know, he's got a, I don't know, I don't want to say attention deficit, but I mean, I mean, it's the pad's not that small. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's when you say that, I just, I try to imagine how you would not be able to locate something like that, unless you're just freaking out. I mean, because that's, that's something. I could see somebody getting so weirded out, like, oh, God, I'm holding up the drill. Oh, God, they're all looking at me. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and now, you know. Yeah, like, like, oh, my God, there's Jerry Jones standing 10 feet from me. I mean, it could, it could have right. been. So. Right. Interesting. Which I, I had my own oh. moment like that. I was walking into the stadium uh, for Tuesday's practice, and I come up I come up the ramp, and there's uh, John Harbaugh and Hugh Jackson having a conversation right in front of me, like two normal guys on the street. Mm-hmm. And I, yep. I let as a – very small time writer myself. I, I was really taken aback. Like, oh, I see these guys on TV frequently. I mean, it was it was just one of those interesting things, yeah. things I guess. See, the, see, it's it's different for different people. Like, I'm not freaked out by those guys, but I I interviewed Daryl Green at the NFLPA game, and I grew up in Virginia, right? Daryl mm-hmm. Green was a part of my life from the time I was like 13 or something. <laughs> um, I mean, his career went on forever. And so, I mean, I came back from the Army, and he was still playing. It was amazing, you know? <laughs> Darryl oh, yeah. King was like a generational event. <laughs> you know, he played for the time I was a small child. Well, not a small child, but I, I mean like a middle yeah, schooler, like I guess. Yeah, I mean, and, and the crazy thing is, I talked to him a little bit. I said, what do you think you run now? He said, probably four or five, maybe a little less. <laughs> but and normally you would think, you know, that's hubris or that's pride or that. No, I, I, I don't doubt in the least that Daryl Green right could stretch for a few seconds. Now at age fifty, I don't know, three, two, four, something in his early fifties, and bust out a four or five, probably without that much strain and stress. Because watching oh, yeah, him move, oh my God! I mean. If you didn't know this man was in his fifties, if he t- if you didn't know, he could pass easily for a man twenty years younger. Yeah, him and Jim Brown. Huh? <laughs> yeah, amazing stuff. Um, yeah. Was there anybody you wanted to see used differently? Like maybe a guy that you thought 
you hoped maybe they'd let him get some reps at a different position, or was anybody like that? Anybody that you just didn't see uh, certain things, or maybe, like I said, or maybe it was a quality, that you, like you mentioned, like with Vanette getting separation or anything, anybody else that, that you didn't see something you were looking for? Um, you think? One one thing I would have liked to see more was uh, Kentucky linebacker Josh Forrest. Um, oh, okay. I, I would have liked to see him in coverage more. Like maybe maybe some maybe and maybe he did. I just I just didn't catch it. But see him moving moving in space more often. Like see how mm-hmm. fluid he is. How is his back pedal? How is he read and react to the quarterback? Does he watch the eyes? Does he watch the feet? What what does he do to cue into the way a play is going? I would have liked to see more from him from that because I liked a lot of what I did see. And this was my first exposure to him outside of, uh, I think I, I noticed him last year when I was watching some some games from Bud Dupree. But he's, I mean, he's got a, a oh, bleh, he's got the physical uh, measurements you look for out of a linebacker. I mean, he's a legit 6'3", 245. Um, yeah, he's a big kid. He's a he's a big yeah he's a, he's a he's yeah, he's a huge guy. And this is another one of those practice observations. Um, he was a big facilitator so far as getting instructions from coaches on the sideline, relaying it to the to the rest of the defense. Eleven on eleven and eleven on eleven, seven on seven. Oh. Um, he he was very active in in pointing out to the safety, hey, you're on the wrong hash, or you need to move up a bit, or whatever it may be. He was consciously. Um, adjusting the assignments of the guys around him, making sure everybody was lined up. He t- took on a lot of responsibility on the second day of practice. And I think that's a great sign for uh, a rookie prospect. That's a nugget. That's that's a I like it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that. That's a because you look for that. I mean, what was it that um, I remember that somebody was talking to. Um, Jason Garrett, and he said, you know, what are you looking for? And, and the first word out of his mouth was, I'm looking for leaders. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting because we're talking about, you know, obviously a bunch of alpha dogs who don't know each other. It's interesting to see who becomes alpha amongst the alphas. Right. Um, another guy like that I would say was a Stanford linebacker, Blake Martinez. Um, he was doing uh, a lot of the things for us was, which – I mean, I believe he was the captain for Stanford's defense the last few years. He's, he's an all-around, all, all-around solid player. Um, he was doing a lot of the same things as far as relaying instructions, um, checking in on other guys, just staying active even whenever he's – even before the ball is snapped. Um, but for things I didn't see that I was hoping to, maybe, um, let's see. Re- really, I, I was – hoping to see more from uh, Sterling Shepard. Like, the, he was outstanding just about every time he got the ball. I just wanted to see more of it. Um, I haven't been able to catch many Oklahoma games. I heard a lot of good things about him, even though he's considered a bit undersized. But I just would have liked to gotten a bigger sample size of what he could do. Um, just the receivers in general, I felt like there were a lot of mouths to feed at practice. Sweet. and which is good for everybody because that's that's more names in the hat come draft day. But I would just like to see more 
attention being given to guys like Chris Moore from Cincinnati or Malcolm Mitchell from Georgia, to see these guys get out there and have more opportunities to show what they can do, um, especially if they come from an offense where they were a bit overshadowed, like Jay Lee was in Baylor with Corey Coleman. Um, gives me, I would like to see just a bigger sample size of what their practice habits are, how they carry themselves, what they're able to do in different situations. Now, what I didn't get a chance to see, and I don't know if it was just because, you know, the canvas didn't catch it or if it was something that didn't happen, you mentioned a little bit about blocking. And that's one of the big criticisms that many people have about the Baylor wide receivers, uh, is that they, not so much that they can't block, but that they rarely block, and that's by design. And their offense, usually with the ball's not coming your way, our Bryles tells them, you know, here's the chance to catch your breath because you're about to run another nine route on the right. play. Um, yeah. Did you get a chance to catch Jay Lee doing any things that you hadn't seen him do in Baylor tape? Because obviously we've seen him run four or five routes really well, but only run about four or five routes in his Baylor career. And I, I first of all, I like Jay Lee more than most. Uh, I guess I should stipulate that, but I, but I don't like everyone else. I don't see him do certain things uh, because I I don't think they ask him to do certain things in their offense. Yeah, um, like you said, he's kind of a limited player at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Most of what he did was uh, vertical, whether that was going downfield, competing for a jump ball, or right. a pass down the sideline, things like this. One thing, I, and he didn't stand out in blocking drills one way or the other, which could be good because I would hate to have noted him getting put on his rear over and over again. So that that didn't happen. So that could be. Um, in his favor. Um, one thing I do think bodes well for him moving forward is he's very dense for his size. Um, there's a lot of receivers in this class who are 6'1", 6'2", but only weigh 190, 195 pounds. Um, Jay Lee, he's 6'1", he's, uh, 214, 215, which but you see that whenever you see him. He's a very dense guy. He's got a strong lower body. Um, he's got plenty of upper body strength. He's got what the tools you look for so far as developing him into a more rounded out player. So if he goes to the right coaching staff and they say, okay, you only know how to run a nine route and out route. We're going to round out your game. Now we're going to teach you how to block. I think he could take to that really well. Um, one note I did have for Lee, he and, uh, the CLA receiver, Jordan Payton, they both attacked their routes very aggressively all week, I thought, so far as being able to plant and turn quickly and just have that physical, aggressive notion to them, um, especially on these cont- contested passes we saw all week. Um, so I think he has a skill set to become a more rounded-out receiver. I don't think he's there yet, but... He he probably won't be as much of a project as some people may think. Yeah, it's interesting. We've had a pretty decent number of "quote unquote" Bryles receivers between the guys he had when he was at Houston. Um, you know, who've been a mixed bag at the NFL level, um, and then the guys that have come out of Baylor, including Kimball Wright and Terrence Williams and. Uh, 
Oh, uh, the one I'm forgetting. The well, we were running Josh back. Gordon. Oh, well, him too. Oh, right. That's, yeah. Right. Noted. Noted. Car salesman Josh Gordon. But um, right. I was actually thinking about. Um, I was actually thinking about the the little squatty body, the 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 freak of nature. Um, you know, the one oh. I called uh, if Deshaun Lynch, if Deshaun Jackson and Marshawn Lynch had a baby. Oh, you mean Antoine Goodley? Goodley, yeah. Antoine Goodley, yes, yes, yes. And yeah, how did he not catch again, on with somebody this past year? Well, I mean, I think eventually he will. He just has to – He, he's, I mean, I hate to – this is not meant as a diss, but I think a couple of years in Canada would do him wonders. Um, sometimes people think I'm dissing somebody when I say, hey, a couple of years in Canada would do him wonders. First of all, they throw the ball all the time. I mean, that's not that different from Baylor, I guess. But um, but you have to run routes in the CFL. Uh, you're going to learn to run routes in the CFL because uh, one, the ball's coming out now immediately. You know, they you've got to pick up that yardage in two downs, right? I mean, you're punting on third down, so uh, you're forced. To, I mean, a lot of people come back from Canada. Jeff Garcia, along with list of people come back from Canada more decisive. You you don't have time to set. I mean, you can set stuff up, but I mean, you can't. It's now. I mean, you watch CFL football. It's happening now. Whatever's happening, you can do it now. Uh, Cameron Wake was a guy that is a you know great Brandon Browner. I mean, lots of guys have gone up to Canada and it's Nolan Brown. Them. Yes, exactly. There you go. Because. The game, I mean, it's it's basically like the game we play down here, except more. You know, like everything's turned up right. another notch. So yeah, the it's receivers... Yeah, with a running start. Exactly, right. So the receivers, I mean, they basically set it up so that you that you should be able to get open. But if you don't get open right away, you're not going to... I mean, it's, it'll, the ball's going to someone else. You know, sometimes you need to set this up. If you've got some elaborate move or whatever it is, you better save it. Because this is just not going to work. Because somebody else is going to be open. I don't have time for you to do this. And that's one of the things you said about Braxton. No, that's somebody I was talking about. You know, the things he's doing were beautiful, but you can't really use some of these things in a game. And I, I said it's the N1 mixtape um, syndrome. It's awesome, but you can't really use it in a game. Some of the stuff he was doing, because, you know, who has time for that? But Yeah, um, I think uh, Nick, Nick Underhill, the advocate, timed one of his red zone routes. It took him five and a half seconds to get to get free. Now, when he yeah. did, he got, he got a touchdown. He made the sure. the defensive back look like a fool, but it took him five and a half seconds, and you will get... So that's a win, that's that a win for the defense, right. Exactly. That's right. a win for the defense. In a real game, that's, you're covered. That ball's playing somebody else, or your quarterback's on his back. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Right. I, so that's what I'm saying. So some of the stuff he was doing, as impressive as it looked, was simply not football. I mean, not, you know, game football. It was right. stuff you can do when you're playing you know, two-hand touch with your friends or seven-on-seven. So, Jim, you said that the most valuable stuff for you, it sounds like, one is the actual data on height, weight, some physical measurements. And then I guess for you, some of the position switchers, I mean, I guess for all of us, even guys that might be position switchers, I guess that's hopefully helpful to you because you get to compare them now to their new home or whatever. I mean, now you're looking at the so if a guy who was a, you know, defensive end is now an outside linebacker, a guy that was a, uh, I mean, DJ Foster's a fascinating story, right? Um, running back, turn wide receiver, turn running back, which he probably should have been running back all along. Um, and I think it frankly hurt Arizona State 
I mean, they still ran the ball fairly well, but I, I couldn't help but think all throughout the year that, boy, they, they're missing DJ Because he was going to throw the ball as a running back. I don't – whatever. I, I'm I'm sure Todd Graham or whoever it is, you know, knows more about this than I do. But I just thought one of the differences between their offense last year, which is more dynamic and the not quite so dynamic, dynamic offense they had this year, was DJ Foster not being that threat out of the backfield. But getting back to him uh, – I'm trying to who else was a position switcher. I mean, Braxton Miller made the switch, obviously. Uh, um, that was he's been discussed. Uh, I know there's got to be one or two more guys. I'm forgetting. There's no linebacker to fullback switchers this year. That's happened the last few years. Um, huh, I guess there's not that many. Tight end to fullback. Say that again. Uh, tight end to fullback. Oh, well, Dan Vitale and, um, oh, I'm forgetting somebody else. Baby Gronk. Uh, oh, Gronk, Baby Gronk. Right, right, right. We're both guys that are fascinating for different reasons to different teams. Obviously, you want to see them block, uh, and you want to see them catch the ball, and I guess you want to see them run with the ball a little bit, though I don't think they got to carry the ball. Much. I think I saw Vitale run with the ball a little bit. Did Baby Gronk run with the ball any? Anybody see him any running drills? Not that I recall. I know he ran a couple of routes and blocked it. Yeah, so I'm a couple of routes. He blocked some people. Yeah, I know. okay. If he carried the ball, I missed it. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see because obviously Vitaly played the quote-unquote superback position, uh, which is by its very nature. If you ever study, you know, running shoot football, it is, it's called superbacks for a reason. They ask you to do some, some of everything. Uh, yeah, he led, led the team in, uh, he led the team yep. in receptions. <laughs> yep. Exactly. So you're part slot receiver, part blocking back, part running back. I mean, it's a fascinating creature, you know, and I remember Kimball Anders, you know, at the risk of making myself sound a million years old, but I remember when Kimball Anders came out of Houston um, back when they were still running shoot team. And he actually had a decent little NFL career as a third down back. Uh, and then some of the taller guys, like Vitaly, who's, what, 6-1 and change? Is that what he measured out at? Uh, let me see. Yeah, around there. Like 6-1 and a quarter or something? I, mean, I had and him down at 6-1, 240 when I, I rounded down. So. Okay, so yeah, that's probably about right. I mean, that's why that's like he eyeballed out to. So he's probably, you know, obviously a guy you can't put as an inline Y, but there are people who wonder if you can use him like Delaney Walker, who is not that much taller, or Hijan uh-huh. Robinson, or, I mean, there's a, you know, the mini, was it you call them, Jim, mini tight ends, mini, something like that. Uh, pocket tight end. Pocket, that's the term you use, pocket tight ends. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, some teams will see him as a possible pocket tight end, and then some teams will try to make him into a straight-up neck-roll-type fullback, which I think would be a mm-hmm. mistake. It'd be the um, end of the because you just, But you, we see it happen. It's I mean... So hard to take back <laughs> to Vitaly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think about the career of Brian Leonard, right? I mean, he was a... To his credit, he was a team guy, and they said, you know... We want you to run into middle linebackers for a living, and he did it. Mm-hmm. But I, I always thought that was just a terrible misuse of his talent. 
Probably was, sure. I mean, Vitaly, as a fullback, I'm not going to say he's not tough. I mean, you know, he is tough. But he doesn't have the sort of berserker rage fullback sort of. There's not many of those guys left, but, like, you know, I don't know. When I think of fullbacks, I think. Yeah. Like that. He's definitely somebody that you could use in terms of screens and, you know. Right. Like, oh, screen pass. You know. Right. Kind of a little angle route. You can occasionally handle the ball and, you know, sort of as a, woo, surprise. You know, we handed the ball to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a little bit of that, man. But, yeah, I, I just think that if you want to get the most out of him, um, that would be a better – what was the, the kid I'm thinking of from USC, the fullback with the great hands from about four drafts ago? Um, Stanley Havili. Stanley Havili. Oh, yeah. And, I'm, I, and once again, unfortunately, people looked at him and said, oh, fullback, you know, go slam it to that linebacker for a living. And I'm like, no, you know, you're so not seeing what you have there. Uh it's a bad time to be a fullback, obviously. I mean, I don't know if there's ever been a great time. Well, actually, there was. There was a great time to be a fullback, but it was many years ago. Um, bad time to be a pocket tight end. It is a – right. Bad time to be a pocket. Um, well, actually, because it's probably a better time than it's ever been before. Well, yeah, for teams that – but, I well, mean, at least, some, at least some teams see the pocket tight end as essentially a, you know, giant huh. slot receiver. Some, Which nobody did, but not many, not many, but a few. My point is, at least there's a few teams. You, it's I mean, more than Charles there would have been. Paid. Charles Clay got paid. Aaron Hernandez murdered somebody, unfortunately. Um, Delaney Walker, of course, you mentioned him. Delaney Walker's, I mean, nice little career, yeah. Um, Chris Cooley's, you know, done now. But I mean, it oh, was a, he's it, not it, really a. Yeah, he's not really a pocket tight end. He was just yeah. on the smaller side of the – James yeah. Casey? Is James Casey still flying his trade? Oh, yeah. The, the, the very sad song, James Casey, that should be something that gets written. Because um, he never really – I mean, he was on teams, but they never really used him that much. Right, right. So, I mean, sure, there's lots of gadget players that are pocket side tight ends, but I'm talking specifically – about the NFL saying we're going to utilize these guys because most of them end up on the street, you know. Yes, for the most part. I know. I will never forget Garrett Mills, you know, who had the yeah. Charles Clay is, I guess, sort of, kind of, on that because there were teams that evaluated him as a fullback. In case if, oh, you, yeah. don't, if you don't believe, well, me, go back and look. <laughs> interested. Yeah. Yes, that was one of the teams. There were several teams that looked at him as a fullback. Thank God he went to other teams that did not see him as a fullback. But um, Garrett Mills ran into that same situation. Garrett Mills was a super productive pocket tight end at Tulsa. And unfortunately, because he was like six feet and three quarters of an inch and 228, um, people decided, well, you know, that equals fullback. And, you know, he was done in three or four years where if somebody had said he's a giant slot receiver or a very small mm-hmm. tight end, I think he'd still be playing now. True. But that's not how the NFL works. <laughs> yes, I guess that's true. You must be there uh, to play tight end. If not, you know, it's like a little 
you know, little charts like no, make fullback, no, uh, you know, like it's just it's follow the process. So, um, I mean, sure, there's definitely guys that make it that are undersized that are six one, six two. There's not very many of them, and no, NFL doesn't right. really want to use them that much because they they kind of they would rather have the slot receiver, a quick short slot receiver versus a short, big body tight end, I guess. That's what they seem to do more nine times out of ten. They kind of want to do that. And that's just based on when I was doing, you know, uh, reception data and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, It's really sad because, like, the tenth most productive tight end in terms of just yardage is equivalent to, like, the 25th you know, wide receiver, and then the 20th tight end is equivalent to, like, the 63rd wide receiver, you know, in terms of, like, actual yards. So teams would just rather, they would rather have, unless they have you as a blocker, in which case you are a little bit of a liability because you're shorter, because you kind of lack that kind of leverage because you're shorter to a certain extent, just in terms of inline blocking. Um, So, I don't know. It's just weird. We live in weird times. Yes, yes, we do. Uh, John, I wanted to make sure I hit upon the safety and cornerback class. One is I think people are beginning to, I guess, reassess the class. And I guess you'll you'll let me know based on what you're thinking and what you've seen. Uh, what did you see? Obviously, the way these practices are structured, the defensive backs are at it fairly distinct disadvantage in most of the drills, but who held up and what are some things you noticed about the, the group there as a whole? Yeah. Uh, the see, two of the guys who really stood out, stood out throughout the week um, were not really who you'd expect looking at it purely from a measurement standpoint. And that was the two SEC, really the two Alabama uh, corners, one from Auburn and one from Bama. Uh, Cyrus Jones and Jonathan Jones both are sub five ten cornerbacks, and so they have that immediate disadvantage of length being an issue. However, they both showed to have a really good understanding of how to use the tools they do have and how to use the field to their advantage. Um, Jonathan Jones broke a, a slant pass by time by timing his jump really well, anticipating it and. Um, getting his hands in to break it up at the catch point. Um, Cyrus Jones repeatedly did a really good job of using the sideline to his advantage to control how much of the field the receiver he was covering uh, could use to their advantage. So they both did well all throughout the week. Um, let's see Jalen Mills from LSU. Uh, he had a better week than I thought he would. Um yeah. The the uh, corner drafted by Atlanta last year. What was who was that? That was um, oh man, I'm trying to think of his name and I'm drawing Jamie, a blank. Uh, Collins? Collins. Yeah, Collins. I had, oh right. I thought, yeah. yeah, I thought Collins was a better was a better corner than Mills, but Mills had a very strong week, and I may have to be reconsidering that. Um, the most intriguing guy to me was Harlan Miller from Southeast Louisiana. Yeah. Um, he's, yeah, he's not listed as one of these six two, two hundred pound guys. He's I think he's right at six foot one like one eighty five. 
but he plays with great length by doing similar to the other guys. He knows how to use it to his advantage. He knows where the ball is going to be. He can read receivers well, reacts well. Um, he's a good he's a good mover. The one issue I had watching him out out there was it seemed like he struggled a bit in flipping his hips, um, transitioning from a back pedal to running in stride. But that could just be the turf being wet, or it could be any number of issues. I don't know. Um, well, unfortunately, I it's, it's a technique thing. Um, to my everlasting shame, they don't teach kids the back pedal. I mean, I, I should say no, but I mean, when I was a teenager trying to play defensive back, we spent, it seemed like hours, it probably wasn't hours, but we did back pedal drills and karaoke drills, and it just seemed like forever. And now you go to football practices, collegiate level, forget high school, and I don't see people working on their back pedal. What the heck is going on? What's happening to my world? Yeah, they're just tearing it apart. Um, <laughs> but Miller, he showed a, a lot of positive traits. Um, I'm really intrigued by him. Um, as, a, as a Saints fan, I'm really very interested in any sort of defensive prospect who can help him out. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, right. And and this may be my bias coming out, but Miller looked like nobody so much as Keenan Lewis out there. Um, whether that's having really skinny calves or his physicality, <laughs> whatever it may be. I mean, it, yeah. it really brought to mind uh, Keenan Lewis from his great 2013 season um, and much of 2014. So Miller is a guy I, I have on my list of prospects to go back, watch some more, um, just keep tabs with him because he does seem to be someone a lot of scouts are high on. Yeah. The Mini State game is a really good game to to watch for a couple of reasons. One is because Mini State's really good. Um, there's I wonder why there weren't McNeese, more Mini State players in some of these these All Star games because Mini State's got guys, man. They've got some dudes. Um, but yeah, that's a good game to watch uh, because they've got some receivers that really tested him. They went they weren't afraid to go at him, um, and I think he might have had a pick in that game. He had several pass breakups. And I think he might have had a pick. Um, and Sam's the uh, Mingus State quarterback you may remember from Kansas State is a he's a big armed kid, not super accurate, but he's got a fairly strong arm. Uh, but yeah, that's a good game to watch if you haven't checked out the Mingus State game. And then um, what's the other one that really impressed me? Um, oh. The two safeties, uh, Sean Davis and Kevin Byer, oh. but they both had very strong weeks. Yes, well. yes, yes, yes. Now. Now you're in my wheelhouse. Uh, I do love strong safeties. <laughs> I do. That's my thing. Um, I'm not going to pretend otherwise. And those are two underrated guys. Well, I guess maybe now people are starting to warm up to them. But I, I, Kevin Bayard is my – what day you catch me, either my number two or number three safety uh, in this class. I think he's going to be a really – he's going to be a pro for 10 years. Uh, what are the things you noticed about those guys? And, and, and tell me about what you think might be a good fit for them scheme-wise and things like that. Uh, Sean Davis is the one I know more. I knew more about going into this. Um, he's actually transitioning from a corner to, to mm-hmm. safety. He, he tried that out this week, which I think was a good move for him. Yes, yeah, uh, I, I knew there's, there's one other guy doing that too. Uh, uh, wait, did, didn't Mills take some snaps at safety too? Yeah, a little bit. He played a little okay. center field. Yeah, okay. but uh, Davis. Okay. Davis, I thought he was a really good. Uh, corner 
uh, zone corner prospect going mm-hmm. into this. He's made the move to safety. I think that's doing a lot to help him out. Uh, he's a very physical uh, defender that showed up in practice. Um, he was rocking the running backs. I think there was one play near the end of Southampton practice where they're doing 11-on-11s and the, the back gets the handoff and he's, he cuts up field and Davis comes flying downfield and just like ear holds him. <laughs> I mean, it was just uh, – it was like you could hear the impact on uh, across the stadium. It was crazy. But Davis, he has a lot of good traits. Uh, he led college football in four fumbles last year, which is pretty impressive. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, he got also got in on punt returns a little bit. I don't know if that was just to get, knock some of the rust off and anticipating interceptions or what, but he seemed like a really natural catcher and moved well with the ball in his hands, has a good long stride. Um, I think he's going to be a great consolation prize for someone, some team that misses out on Jalen Ramsey in the first round. I think they're going to get Davis in the second, and he's going to be an impact starter from day one. Got it. Yeah, I like him too. And I, like you, I originally had liked him as like a cover two, maybe even cover three type corner because of his length and, and jam and things like that. But I, I could definitely warm up. I am warming up to the idea of him playing, playing safety. And then what about Bayard? What did you see in him and, and what do you think his future might entail? He is just really solid all around, especially in coverage. Um, he did a I thought he did a great job of adjusting his placement, like his physically where he's standing and showing off some great range in relation to what the quarterbacks were doing. Uh, he did really well, not letting them, not getting let off his spot with their eyes. He adjusted well. Um, he obviously had that great inter- interception um, against Jay Lee on the jump ball, I believe, where he just mm-hmm. showed off some good range, got across the field, undercut the pass, and he was good to go. He had another one a few minutes earlier uh, against uh, Sterling Shepard, I believe, where Shepard punched it out at the last second. But he would have he would have had two interceptions in five minutes of practice time, um, which is – Yeah, yeah I think coach, coaches might like that when you can feel like for that kind of productivity. Right. So he, he looked like a – as advertised as a, as a ball hawk out there. I mean, he had what was it, 15 interceptions the last three years. I mean, mm-hmm. He's just an, an impressive player, and it's great to see guys from a smaller program like Middle Tennessee show up to the Senior Bowl, not only show up, but show out. I mean, take the opportunity and run with it. I was really happy to see him do well this week. Yeah, I'm a big fan, and I've been, you know, bothering people <laughs> I've been bothering people. I I, I was just to nag people about certain people, but that was a guy that I I really I, like. I said I think he would be a great pro, and I've been you know in people here about him. Uh, Jim, you do a lot of metrical work, not just around physical metrics, but production metrics. What are thresholds in terms of production that we should look for from corners? Uh, I guess if you have different numbers for man versus zone, I don't know if you break it down that way. And then from safeties, um, if you break it down free and strong versus safety to a whole, what are things, what are thresholds that you look for in production? Well, it's kind of the opposite. Um, Free safeties, typically you want to see high interception numbers and high pass deflection numbers. 
Uh, and they don't necessarily have to have as high of solo tackle market share numbers. Uh, the, the thresholds for those guys are, uh, for free safety at least, it's about 71 in solo tackle percentile, uh, which is pretty high and higher um, for all pro, pro bowl type free safeties. You know, the Ed Reed, the um, Old Thomas, you know, those those guys. Uh, strong safety, it's a little different. You want high solo tackle, market share, uh, and relatively, uh, you don't have to have really, really high interceptions unless you're talking about like an all-pro strong safety, which is like pretty high. Uh, and then the, the pass deflection stuff can be a little bit lower, uh, which is... With free safety, it was 98 percentile. With the strong safety, it was 77 percentile. So that kind of shows the difference there. Um, but for the most part, I mean, th those are sort of the areas you want to, if you're doing solo tackle market share, so, which is what I do, and nobody else does it, but at least from what I've done, um, that's where the majority of the successful players uh, ended up. Uh, we're in those sort of areas of solo tackles, interception, and of course pass deflection. So, and that's just the difference in terms of breakdown. And it makes a little bit of sense because if you're thinking about a strong safety, they're not always in coverage as much as the free safety is. Uh, but you still also want the strong safety to be a little bit in pass ball coverage as well. So it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of like that. That that's that's the real difference between the two, I guess. Okay, got it. Uh, I guess we should touch. I want to touch on at least a couple more things in terms of uh, uh, position groups. As you mentioned, the defensive line, uh, really for both sides, was was incredibly impressive. But you mentioned particularly the, the South. What about offensive line prospects, uh, John? Who stood out to you and why uh, amongst the offensive line group? Uh, Nick Martin from Notre Dame. He was the meanest player on the field all week. Um, he finished every block he threw so far as, I mean, I don't think, I can't recall him getting beaten once that I saw. Um, there were a number of plays where they're doing the one-on-one -on -one block drills, and he would just overpower whoever came at him. I mean, making guys eat, eat turf, throwing them down, flinging them around, um, just mean, nasty, which is what we wanted to see um, mm. going into this because that was a common uh, negative on him, I noticed, from scouting reports, was he didn't have that same mean streak his older brother Zach does. Well, having seen him live, I, I don't have any concerns about that now. Um, what was really cool, too, was he... I think he's been the starting center for like the last two and a half, three seasons for Notre Dame and then played some left guard this past year. And he played both positions at the senior bowl. He rotated, uh, played, played, got in on guard, did some snaps at center, which should really help his draft stock because teams love those, those versatile uh, linemen who can fill in in a pinch. Um, he was, <clears throat> I didn't have, too high of expectations for him, but I was really happy with what I saw. Um, 
Let's see who else stood out. Uh, Graham Glasgow from Michigan. Oh, Whenever, yeah. When, yeah, he got bumped up from – he played his way from the Shrine game to the Senior Bowl, yeah. which says a lot. Now, whenever he wasn't playing Sheldon Rankins, he was just <laughs> dominant all, all around. Uh, I think we've all seen the Vine, uh, that spin move he got just destroyed on. But who who did Sheldon Rankins not mop with in his uh, days this, this week? Right. Um, Glasgow, he's huge. I've heard that some teams project him as a guard because he's too tall to play center. He's like six seven, six, six eight. Four. I oh, is he that? Is he that tall? Good God! I think so. Oh, okay. I, 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 I had heard that some teams were not uh, scouting him as a center because he was too tall for what they'd like Jeez. to play. Um, I, I have the roster here. Let me, let me pull this up. I actually have the weigh-in right here. Let's see. South team. Glasgow was – oh, yeah, yeah, 6'6", six, six. so or six, six point three. So he is, wow. yeah, I mean, okay. he's a huge guy. He's got 33-inch arms, um, a 79-inch wingspan. So he is a huge guy. I could see – I think he would be a really good move to guard for some team where you can move him over and say, hey, bully whoever is in front of you. <laughs> I mean, he was somebody I was excited to see get bumped up, and he did not fail to deliver. Um, another offensive lineman, uh, Jason, is it Jason Spriggs from Indiana. Let's, let's see. The offensive tackle. Yeah, Jason Spriggs from Indiana. I had heard from a, a couple of people that he was being considered as like a fringe first-round pick, and he looked like the best offensive tackle in, in town this week uh, as far as mirroring, so for me to say, blockers, or sustaining his blocks, um, pulling, doing whatever it is he wanted to see him do. He went out and he did it well. Um, he's some, somebody to keep tabs on moving forward. And I've, so far, I haven't heard a bad word about him as a prospect. Jim. In terms of what you do, mm-hmm. obviously production doesn't exist. And then, I mean, people sometimes will try things like knockdowns and pancakes and, you know, drubbins or whatever, you know, uh, whatever. Right. Uh, just, oh. But those things are, I mean, everything's somewhat subjective. Anyway, well, what is but, a pancake? Right. I mean, it's, trip? Right, there's nothing, right, there's nothing more Any, subjective in the world. I mean, it's feet? You know what? Yeah. So like it's, it's a little bit of that. Uh, like I guess what, what was the overall question? Cause, yeah, because there's no. All right. So what do you? I mean, you look at physical metrics, obviously. Uh, which thing? What, what things matter to someone who does metrics with offensive linemen? Um, height. Actually, uh, for, for the most part, uh, height is uh. At various positions, the taller offensive linemen compared to their peers typically have the better quality outcomes, the quantity outcomes, in terms of that sort of stuff. Um, I know I've mentioned that a lot. I've mentioned that a lot on the show, but oftentimes people stare at arm length way too much because typically, uh, if you like, how I kind of explain it is that if you just 
made like a cutoff at 34 inches for arm length uh, for offensive tackles and just said, we're only going to look at the guys at 34 inches or more in arm length, you would basically be ignoring half of all multiple all-pro, Pro Bowl, and starting offensive tackles in terms of the last 20 years. So it's not a very good idea to just make standards on offensive linemen uh, arm length. There definitely is a, a point in diminishing returns, which is about everything below 32 inches is kind of where things start to look bad for offensive tackles, but for the most part, um, quality outcomes between 32 inches and 38 inches are basically the same. And more so as well, because I could technically argue that having shorter arms at offensive tackles is more important uh, because there's there's actually more all-pro offensive tackles with below average arm length than there is with above average arm length. But according to most of the stuff I've already done, it really shows that the guys that had the lower average arm length had above average height. And I think that, that that's the more important thing to look for. Uh, and, and the only reason why height is because it deals with leverage advantage. When you're a taller offensive lineman who can bend, uh, you're able to generate more leverage. Uh, you're able to influence things a lot more. You're a bigger body. You can shield guys better uh, overall. Uh, so it's, it's kind of just deals with all that kind of stuff. And the Super Bowl in particular – Everybody, for the most part, hit most of those thresholds at offensive tackle, offensive line, and center. I thought it was kind of funny that people said that Graham Glasgow was too tall to play center. Um, because, and that is something teams don't normally, they don't normally put six foot six guys at center. Because uh, if you have like a six foot two quarterback, they're worried you won't be able to see and stuff like that, um, which is kind of what they, you know, kind of argue about. But I think it's funny that nobody has actually put a, a six foot. If you really care about the center position, uh, putting a six foot six center wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, I guess, is all I'm trying to say. Um, but obviously, teams most likely would put him at guard, which you'd be fine there as well. He's above average height for uh, guard and tackle and center. So there's a lot of things you could actually do with Graham Glasgow, and most likely interior offensive line. So. Yeah, I think for the most part, all I would say is when it comes to offensive linemen, you just typically want guys that are taller based compared to their peers. And, uh, and of course, evaluate the tape, but that's just kind of typically what you're looking for, is you're looking for guys that are taller because typically those guys have the better leverage advantages. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And do you care about Starts, or I mean, do you look at if guys make all conference, or I mean, I don't, I don't know sort of what else matters other than that when you're looking at oh, uh, starts. You know, I, I know, I know that uh, Kyle Crab uses starts as part of his grading system for offensive linemen. Um, I've thought about doing that. I don't necessarily know if, I mean, obviously knowing that a guy won sixty four attempts that people trying to take his job is great or, you know, 50 or 30 or winning all of his chances to, to be a starter is important. But I haven't actually seen any studies or I haven't actually done any studies either showing that that a, that a offensive lineman that wins every single one of his starts 
uh, you know, is a good offensive lineman. Or, and most likely it probably would because, you know, if you're not starting an offensive lineman, there's obviously a reason why you weren't starting for the most part. So there probably would be something like that. But I don't know. It just seems like a lot of work for something that is pretty self-explanatory, I guess, which is why I haven't really got into it that much. Okay. And, John, I, I, this is something that they don't televise much, so I don't know how much you would – I mean, I don't know what – I can't tell what they do, <laughs> I guess. so much televised. Um, the specialists, punters, place kickers, long snappers, not the sexiest or most, you know. But still, it's incredibly important that teams need it. What do they do at the senior bowl? I'm assuming they go through drills as well and, you know, punt – you know, Place, work on punt placement, work on punt coverage, um, work on, you know, point after touchdowns a little bit. I mean, what did, what did you see, and then did anybody impress you for amongst the specialists? Uh, well, the South team did a lot of special teams work. Um, the majority of their first hour of practice, the first two days, were spent in special teams. <laughs> I mean, and so oh, okay, it, was, it, was, it was kind of humorous because we – you have this huge crowd of coaches and scouts and media and fans and everybody come out and they're doing stretches and punting fundamentals for an hour at the South team practice, which isn't what most people came out to see. Um, for the most part, the only special teamer that was impressive was the kicker for uh, Duke. I think uh, he, 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 by my count, he hit two 60 yard field goals. Um, at different points in the week, yeah. Uh, he didn't and miss any kicks that I'm aware of. Not the best of conditions either, right? Not at all. Um, there was a very strong wind on Tuesday. Uh, I think he kicked. I think he had the wind at his back that time, but I know he was kicking into the wind the second time right before they uh, broke practice. Um, nailed it right down the middle from 60 yards out. There was some the, the some pretty pleased cloud cloud crowd noise coming at that. Um, the punters, both the punters who were there were not very impressive. Uh, they both seemed to struggle kicking directionally so far as trying a coffin corner punt or going for more hang time or anything like that. Um, so I wouldn't consider either of them to be on uh, most teams' radar. Uh, long snappers, they also didn't seem to be at the top of the talent tree, I guess, or pyramid, I guess. Um, they, let's see, the North team long snapper had several very poor snaps over the course of the week. One of them bounced uh, before it got, it got to the kicker or to the placeholder who, to his credit, adjusted it and had it ready to be kicked whenever the kicker came up. So they did a lot of special teams work, I thought, more than I anticipated they would. Um, and just to summarize all that up, the only really impressive special teamer was the North team kicker. So, let's see. And that, whenever they weren't doing drills, the special teamers were really just hanging out on the sideline. Um, yeah, like special teamers. Observing practice. Yeah, like what they do, I guess. I think that was, let's see, what was his name? No, that may have been the, let's see. Tammy Fairbairn, who is that? Oh, no, I just uh, 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 Kai, not Kai. Is it Kai? Something like that, right? 
think so. Uh, let me make sure that's who I meant. Let's see. No, uh, Ross Martin, I'm sorry. Yeah, Kai, Kai was decent. Um, Ross was the one who nailed the two 60-yard field goals, I believe. So it was, an, it was a fairly impressive showing for most kickers over the course of the week. Okay. And I, still, I was going to, I guess I'll ask Jeff, since I always ask Jeff, do you, what do you, what do you, what do you look for? I'm assuming accuracy is something you look for in, in place kickers. And, yeah. And then uh, amongst, so tell me, right, accuracy, just, I mean, what do you look for in, in, in special teams guys and uh, how do you quantify those things, Jeff? Ah, uh, it's, it's not very easy. Um, the really the been what's kind of uh, con- consoling is that NFL teams have it as crude a science as I do. Um, <laughs> um, in that, all you can really look at is like average, really completion percentage by distance. Um, how many? What? What was their? completion, what was their make percentage, I guess, of kicks from inside 20 yards, inside 30 yards, 40, so on and so forth. Um, if you ever actually want to sit down, and I think Draft Breakdown actually has a cut-up of Florida State's kicker, where they, they cut up all of oh, the Roberto Aguayo, yeah. Yeah, yeah Aguayo. I think if you sit down and watch, there are things, there are, are observations you can make, like accuracy, how how close to the middle of the goalpost did they make it? Um, Distance. What if, if they kick it in from 30 yards and it would have been good from 50? That's pretty significant. Um, hang time could also be something to consider. Like, do they have good velocity when they kick it? Because if they do, then the wind's going to be less likely to affect it. But if it takes the ball a while to get in there, it can be pushed around more and it could be pushed wide right or wide left, which most teams, especially the Bills, fear. So. There are things to consider in, in it, but it's very much an inexact science at this point. Okay. And, and um, Mr. James Coburn, what do you do with specialists in your metrical work? And uh, do you look at things like touch-to-toe time on? I mean, I don't know. You tell me. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do and how do you do it? Oh, well... Kind of a bad guy because I don't really do anything really for kickers and punters. Um, okay. I've been interested in it definitely, like you said, touch the toe time. Uh, I've, I've even tried to look up possibly uh, uh, like size of feet, you know, or um, or like bone density, like you measure uh, ankle size stuff like that. Because, uh, you know, if you have more mass in your feet, what kind of impact could that possibly have if you're kicking the football, you know? Um, but those are just sort of things that just kind of went in my mind. I would say the better person to ask that question to, Bill, to be honest with you, is Bill Belichick. So if you get a chance to ask somebody, you know, 
so Bill, uh, what do you, when you're evaluating kickers and punters, uh, what are some of the things that you look for from a uh, numbers standpoint? I would ask Bill Belichick because he probably has something, but I don't know what that is. But he probably does have something. So. Yeah, I know one thing is that. <laughs> I'm certain he does. Uh, I bet he has touch-to-toe times on every punter in the last Touch the third time, the weather, how cold it was, <laughs> how far he kicks when it's negative 20 degrees and the wind is 15 miles per hour going in an easterly direction. Like, this is how well he kicks in the rain and how well he kicks, you know, you know, I've all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm surprised more people don't ask him that. They ask him all these dumb questions, like, how's Tom Brady doing? It's like, <laughs> if you All want right. to get Bill Belichick excited, <laughs> that's what you ask him about. Ask him, hey, when Greg Montgomery was coming out of Michigan State, what did you have on his touch-to-toe times in various games? When oh, Steven Goskowski his... was coming out, what were some right. of the things you oh. were looking at? His eyes get... would light yeah. up. <laughs> He'd be a whole different guy. Yep. So that's all I can really say. I haven't actually got into it. I, I, I eventually will. I just have... I don't know, like most people, like, you know, they kick the ball and then they sit around for a bunch of time. So, you know, like, I would rather focus on the guys around the field more often, but, you know, I don't know. Trying to get, trying to, you know, I got other things I've been working on. I just haven't got to them, I guess. Right. <laughs> yes. No, I understand. I mean, I was, I'm not, trust me, I'm not being critical. You do a ludicrous amount of, of grinding on, on numbers. I just didn't know what you did or didn't do regarding uh, specialists. You know, that was the my main contribution as a player was on special teams. So I understand more about the punt and kickoff coverage concepts than the average human being does simply because, of, you know, that's what I did. I ran down on punts and kickoffs, and that was most of what I did in my uh, – all I did in college and most of what I did in high school. So that I can – that I know, and I do know that we should study uh, the touch-to-toe time on guys who are playing, because that, that's how he would decide. People say, you know, why are they deciding to go for, you know, the the block as opposed to going for a return? We based it on, you know, how long it's going to take to get it off. There are some guys who didn't bother trying to block because we'd never get to them. You know, some guy is super quick, you know, guys 1.8 touch-to-toe, <laughs> you know, unless you're, unless you're Fawn Miller being fired out of a cannon or something, you're not going to get there. It's just not going to happen. But guys, 2.2? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're going after that kid. So, yeah, that's that's interesting to see how differently – and once again, I think some of it has to do with the, the coach's own uh, knowledge or prejudices or whatever regarding special teams and how much time is spent on it. So. And I guess um, this will be sort of uh, the sort of uh, final line of questioning for you, John. Who are the players that you think, whether it was negative or positive, made the biggest – caused the biggest reassessment, I guess is what I'm saying. Who changed the minds of people the most, do you think, amongst the players who, who were there for senior ball? 
Uh, the first name that comes to mind is Tyler Urban. Like I mentioned him right when we first got started here. To come back to him, that's the San Jose State running back. Yeah, uh, going, yeah. Going, going into this, he was listed at 178 pounds and was the only – well, he and tight, tight end slash wide receiver Billy Freeman were the only real weapons on that offense over, I think, their Mountain West Conference now. Um, and Irvin, he was a smaller guy. He's listed at 5'9", 178. And people basically wrote him off at, from the get-go as a smaller third down, Darren Sproul-style running back, somebody he'd bring in on third down. Um, he showed in, showed up the weigh-ins weighing in at, what, like 192, 195, and 5'10". And that did a lot to open the door for him to be considered as an every down starter or at least to have more of a role than what he other would have had if he had been 180 pounds. So he comes in and he played very well. Um, he did decently in the pass protection drills. He carried the ball very well. Um, he was very involved in special teams. Uh, by the end of the first day of practice, I don't think anybody had worked as hard as he did so far as leading drills. Um, I think they had the whole team do like a sprint from one side of the field to the other, and he led the run after having been practicing for 45 minutes or an hour already. Um, he was very energetic. He showed a lot of very intriguing, very positive practice habits. Um, I think he's done a lot to bring himself into that conversation of who, which running backs are going to be drafted after Ezekiel Elliott and Eric Henry and Kenneth Dixon. Who are these mid-round David Johnson uh, type guys who are going to, going to get drafted by some smart team and show up and have a really good breakout by October of this year, whatever it may be. Um Let's see, Sheldon Rankins as well. Um, we saw all kinds of great behinds and clips of him, but he legitimately did a great job to cement his status as one of the top defensive tackles in a very good draft class. We've got guys from Andrew Billings to DeForest Buckner to some people say Sean Robinson. Uh, Rankins fits in the conversation equally with all of those guys. Uh, he was very disruptive. He has a dynamite first step. He has a, a strong college resume to fall on. He just wasn't hasn't been that discussed or that widely discussed on draft Twitter, I guess, because not a lot of people watch a, was it AAC games, Louisville, whatever conference they're in. So he's a guy who did a lot to elevate his draft stock and gain attention from people who like you said earlier, these coaches are in a bubble where they're not seeing these draft prospects uh, monthly, weekly, daily, like scouts and um, guys like you and me do who were not as aware of them. And so for them to show up, if, if I'm an NFL head coach and I show up to practice and this Louisville defensive tackle is just throwing guys out of his way and racing past uh, offensive linemen and making plays all over the place, that's going to be a very strong memory to fall back on come April, whenever we're sitting in sitting in the war room on draft day. So Rankin is a guy who did a lot to help his stock for sure. 
Now, Jim, you've already talked a little bit about what things do and don't matter uh, in terms of production. For the positions he just discussed, running backs and defensive tackles, obviously very physically different types of human beings, usually at least. Uh, Pete Johnson, you know, being the exception, who was kind of both. But in terms of the type of work that you do, what things should one look for physically from a running back and physically from a defensive tackle, metrically speaking? Um, metrically, metrically speaking. Uh, well, at the running back position, one thing that I actually uh, worked on this week, actually, which I thought was kind of interesting, was uh, arm length. Surprisingly, um, was impactful um, at, at the position. I didn't see this coming, kind of. But uh, after I did uh, about 10 draft classes worth of data this week in particular, because I was just like, you know what, I need to do this. There's a lot of stuff that I just have put off. Uh, not due to laziness, but just because I want to work on something else. So this was one of those things. And I'm I'm really sad now because, like, I could have known this stuff a long time ago. But uh, at the position of running back, there was a clear breaking point with the 31-inch arm length standpoint. Um, there was, I think, yeah, it was 93% of all starting um running backs over the last, since the 2005 draft class at least, uh, were at least 31 inches in terms of their arm length. 100% of all the all-pro, multiple all-pro guys were above that threshold as well. And uh, for pro bowlers, it was about uh, 80% for multiple pro bowlers. The one guy who did it was Chris Johnson, Uh, you know, speedy, Mr. 42440 guy, he was one of the guys that had below average arm length who ended up having uh, multiple Pro Bowls. And then there also was Michael Turner, who was also at the lower end of uh, the spectrum. Uh, but that was it. So um, I, I felt like that was kind of interesting. I don't know why that is, though. So I was actually going to talk to a couple of running back people, and hopefully they don't go, well, it doesn't matter. This is bunk all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I kind of want to like, okay, why would having longer arms have this result? Um, I also kind of cross-checked it for height to see if like it was, you know, because if you're a taller running back, typically you have longer arms. And for the most part, it wasn't that either because typically the, the running backs that were shorter who had longer arms, uh, who hit that 31-inch threshold, like the five foot ten running backs or five nine running backs at 31 inches, those guys were successful. And the guys that were five ten, five nine, who had less than thirty one inch arms, were not as successful. So I don't know. I can't really explain why that is, uh, but it's something I will look into. You know, to see because you know it's one thing to have a number saying something; it's another thing entirely to kind of figure out what the, you know, like with offensive linemen, height kind of makes sense because of leverage advantage. What's the advantage of having longer arms at running back? or having it be what it is right here. So that's, that's something I kind of want to look into and gather more data for. Um, at defensive tackle, it's the same thing, man. It, I'd say all line positions, it's a very height 
world. It's a world that you wouldn't want to live in, Bill. I'll say that much. Is <laughs> 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 the line position because it's, it's a world of giant people pushing other giant people around. Um, and for the most part, uh, at edge position, a defensive tackle position, uh, the guys that were six foot four or higher had more consistent dominance uh, in terms of longevity and those sorts of things. There are definitely guys who are 6'1", 6'2", who are very successful, but typically those guys aren't as successful as the guys that are about 6'4", to 6'5", 6'6", in terms of that area. 6'7", is a little iffy, though, for interior defensive line, but 6'6", is just right in terms of uh, five techs and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, for, for so, the most part, so, like that. So, so John Henderson is about as tall as you ever want to go amongst interior guys. Yeah, you don't want to get much taller than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, uh, you know, you, but 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 then again, that also could just be an example of population, right? Uh, because there isn't as many six foot seven ish different tackles running, you know, walking the streets. Hopefully, you know, thank God. So. Um, you have that kind of advantage as well. But, yeah, typically taller difference one. And the same thing goes back to the leverage advantage. Like I said, with offensive linemen, if you're a taller offensive lineman who can bend going up against a shorter defensive lineman, you have an advantage, you know. Um, Whereas if you're a taller defensive lineman, now you have the advantage. So if you're like a, a tall defensive lineman like a Richard Seymour who can bend, going up against a six foot three guard. Or the better way I put it is like remember when Julius Peters went up against Alvin Bailey in the uh NFC championship game? So yes. that guy going up against a six foot three offensive lineman, that's the result that usually happens when you do that. So, so there's it's just an abundance of just you know Julius Pepper is just a guy that has uh, of course he's Julius Peppers. But I'm just saying, in general, <laughs> taller um, equals better quality outcomes at the position. And, of course, there's production stuff that goes into that as well, which I won't bore you with all the thresholds there. But basically, the more productive <laughs> defensive tackles, we're the better defensive tackles. Makes sense to me. And that's kind of what shows up in the data. So, um, But, yeah, that, that's, that's at least with the arm length stuff. Again, not as much edge position, tackle position, arm length, there is a, there definitely is a point of diminishing return with that for shorter arm guys, but we're talking like the bottom 10 percentile. So it's really just something, like I said, to look, if a guy has a deformity, like if a guy shows up with 30 inch arms, yeah, that's a little concerning. But if the guy doesn't show up with 30 inch arms, then he's not like, you know, has like a weird baby arm or whatever, no, that's not as, you know, concerning. Yeah, Got it. So, yeah. well, well, first of all, John, I want to say you've dropped some some beautiful, beautiful nuggets on us. Uh, are, did you have any questions you might have for Jim? Because Jim does, does nothing but crunch numbers and look at data sets going back for years and years and years to sort of look for trends and, uh, you know, things that might be determinate in terms of long-term success. Are there any things you ever wanted to ask a guy that stares at numbers all day long? <laughs> uh, not really, but I do want to say I appreciate all, <laughs> all the hard work he does put into finding things out like 
where players rank in certain percentiles and what indicators of success are out there. Um, I do think we are moving towards more analytics-based evaluations and doing projects like what he undergoes are on the forefront of that. And I think being able to quantify more information and objectively study um, results in football and, and other sports is a good thing so far as the level of discourse um, we have as fans and media and whatnot. So it's just, I think it's a, he provides a great model to look to for people who are looking to get into the side of the industry and everything. Yeah, well, it's, you know, obviously football has lagged a little bit behind uh, baseball and even a little bit behind basketball in terms of really making use of analytics. But as you just pointed out, that is changing by the time that, you know, a generation from now, you know, people will look back at us and think, you know, wow, how in the heck do they draft anybody without knowing these things? Uh, But, of course, you know, it's always a process, as they say. John, tell people where they can find your work. And, and first of all, let me say, great stuff. Uh, you really you know your stuff, and you, you clearly are a guy that's doing a lot of – you do a lot of digging, and you find some great things. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, and thanks again for the opportunity to have me on the show. Uh, sure. People can find my content, honestly, most easily at on Twitter. <laughs> uh, just follow <laughs> me at – at John Sigler, uh, NFL. That's J O H N S I G L E R NFL. Um, from there, you, I have a link on my profile to the whodatdish.com. That's where I base my content, where um, I cover both the Saints and the draft process, free agency. Um, I'm really intrigued by everything that goes into putting an NFL team together so far as acquiring talent through free agency, the draft, undrafted free agency trades, um, how teams work their chemistry and their alchemy to put these teams together. It's fascinating stuff to dig into. And mm-hmm. I really try and give some new perspectives on that so far as how things, all these different elements tie together to a final result. Um, but yeah, I am a, Saints fan, and so that is the perspective I tend to take on much of my content. But I am trying to branch out into more, uh, more broad spectrum. I guess would be the would well. Be the, one way the to good put news. It. The good news is that the Saints are a fascinating study. I mean, if you are into how teams are constructed, because you clearly have. I mean, I think I don't think I'm you know selling tales out of school if you have an offensive-minded head coach, and when the Saints are at their best, there's at least some sort of counterbalance, for how are we going to put that, where there's some semblance of a running game and you guys play play some defense. Now, you had, at the term people like these nowadays is high variance. You had a high variance defensive coordinator um, recently uh, that didn't yeah. quite didn't quite pan out, I guess, would be the best way to put that. Um, and maybe I'll ask you before I let you go, what do you think the Saints defense is going to look like? What do you think they're going to put their, you know, their treasure into on defense going forward? Well, it looks like they've been putting the, putting it together in phases. 
Uh, this past offseason, they prioritized the linebacking core in the secondary, where they added, I think it was five corner, new cornerbacks last year. Mm-hmm. They added a couple to right. free agency with Brandon Browner and Kyle Wilson. They added them to the draft with P.J. Williams and Damian Swan, and they added the one of the stories of the year in Delvin Brown, yeah. who yeah. showed up as a legitimate top five, top ten cornerback in this league from the from as an as an undrafted guy from the Canadian League. Um, where they're moving forward, uh, we know that they're putting a premium on the defensive line. One of the first mm-hmm. player, one of the first prospects they've been linked to this year was DeForest Buckner from Oregon. Um, they're, <clears throat> they've been doing their homework on him. Um, I've heard some pretty interesting things so far as their visits with Oregon staff, uh, communication saying, doing their due diligence with him. Um, weak side linebacker is also a priority. Uh, sure. Let's see. Yeah. Um, Matt Miller reached a report. He said, said the Saints would have no issue taking Jalen Smith at 12th overall, even with his recent injury, um, which honestly I would be in favor of as well. If he's there, if, he, if they believe he's the best player available, by all means, get him, put him in a red shirt, and play for 2017. I don't think the team as it stands today will be contending for the NFC South in 2016, <laughs> uh, not with the Panthers rolling as far as they've been. I just don't right. think it's happening. They have too many holes across the board. And so – They've got to stock up and reload and really play for 2017 and from there on out. Uh, if you look at their salary cap situation, they're going to they'll have at some point this offseason about 20 to 23 million dollars in cap space after doing their um, typical restructuring deals, um, releasing some veterans from their contracts, um, maybe some trades, whatever it may be. They'll get creative and they'll make the space. What's interesting is they've already got somewhere between $68 million and $72 million in cap space for 2017. So they will, I imagine, they're going to do whatever they can to stock up more draft picks, have another defensive heavy class, and go out and just invest in the future, basically. Uh, from a functional standpoint on the field, Dennis Allen is still the defensive coordinator. Uh, he finished the year. He didn't. It was still terrible. But it wasn't as bad as it was with Rob Ryan on the sideline. Um, how much of the blame goes to Rob? Nobody can say. Um, I've heard that it was really he really got a raw deal so far as Sean Payton trying to have Rob execute his vision, Payton's vision, rather than letting Rob actually build the defense and construct it how he wanted to. Um, that didn't play out well. So I'm curious to see if Payton is still going to try and be as involved moving forward or what their hope and expectations are. Yeah, I, I thought it was a weird marriage. I mean, it was interesting, and I, I, I was fascinated to see how it turned out. And, of course, it's, the marriage did not last long. It did not turn out well, but two very different person, strong personalities, and I guess in Dennis Allen, he's found a guy who's philosophically a little quieter, I guess, than uh, Rob Ryan, and obviously in terms of sheer volume. 
a little right. quieter than Rob Ryan. <laughs> well, I've heard it. I've heard it compared that Rob is the type that would call you out on the field. Allen is the one who'd call you into his office, and that would not be a pleasant experience. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a very apt description of some of the differences. Um, well, just so you know, uh, I, I've started reading some of your stuff, and I will be following and reading uh, as we go forward. And the Saints are going to be like it's an interesting study in rebuilding on the fly, or what you want to call it, a team that, as you said, is probably a couple of years away from being in contention again. To see how quickly it'll be interesting to see how quickly because the you know the window discussion always comes into play. We have a quarterback who's moving into the latter half of his 30s uh, who, without, you know, putting him on too much of a pedestal, is probably the most important player in the history of the franchise, that might be fair to say. So we should see see how that plays out. Right. Well, I've talked to uh, some guys in the locker room, or I don't want to say that I've got sources in the locker room, but I've been part of conversations, I guess. And the, there's a saying they have that the team runs on two things, God and Drew Brees. <laughs> and without, if anything goes down with Drew in the future, I imagine we will see this total burn everything to the ground and start over. But so long as he's there, they're going to continue to try and stay competitive. Um, and like you said, the window is closing. Uh, they didn't do raise any favors with all the injuries he picked up this year. He had a thumb injury. He bruised his rotator cuff. Uh, he tore a tendon in his foot. Um, but got to upgrade the offensive line around him and maybe even work in some schematic things to keep him out of harm's way moving forward. I think he's about to turn, or he did turn 37, I believe. And so they've got to account for that in their plans, and hopefully they are already taking steps to ensure his longevity. So, so like you said, it will be an interesting uh, story arc, I guess, to keep up with moving forward. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting ones, because much like with Philip Rivers in San Diego, and I guess you can toss out, you know, obviously breathing. I mean, there's a couple of guys. I mean, everyone's talking about Peyton because, you know, Peyton. But to me, the equally interesting are these guys whose teams are a few years away from contending who maybe have two or three more years to play and to see can the teams pull together quickly enough to do something before those guys finally do retire. Right. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to keep track of. Well, just so you know, you have a standing invitation to return. Um, I want to have you back. In fact, what the heck? Why be coy? I'll just, just send the invitation to you now. So the week before the actual draft draft, we have a three-day draft of Palooza, God help us. Uh, that, uh, it's all seven rounds because we're men. Uh, so if you are interested, uh, the only stipulations is that you must take both one AFC and one NFC team. I think I can guess which NFC team you probably want. Um, and then I guess you have some time to figure out what AFC team you want, if you want to participate. Uh, then DM me. We already being into your, uh, your email address. Okay, so if you're interested, just let me know. And I'll send out invitations probably two weeks before the actual event itself. Um, we will, if there's like a people who want the same team, I'll go with whoever asked me first. If somehow people ask me simultaneously, which hasn't happened yet, then we go to I don't know a virtual coin flip. I don't know what we'll do there. 
But essentially, you take, you take if for some reason you can't be there one of the days or part of one of the days or whatever, you're going to miss a significant number of picks. I've asked you to send me your board um, with at least three options. Uh, we've had people send me virtually, I'll take this or that. <laughs> and then now, you know, you, it's up to GM's, not GM's discretion, it's up to commissioner's discretion or whatever who you get. So please, you know, give at least three or four options for each each player in each round if, if you're not able to make a pick. But if you're interested, just let me know. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the offer. Oh, certainly, certainly. Um, the pleasure has been mine. Once again, this is John Sigler. If you are a Saints fan or just a football fan, but especially if you're a Saints fan, he is a must-follow uh, at John Sigler NFL, which is at J-O-H-N-S-I-G-L-E-R-N-F-L. And it's uh, at Hudat. What's the last part of it? Hudat? Uh... Dish. Yes, Dish. Thank you. I knew that. It's at Hudat Dish. Uh, and there's some really good nuggets, like I said, some really good stuff there. So, John, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Oh, thank you, John. Well, Jim, um, I'm adding him to a list of guys that I like to have on the show, and we'll definitely have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Oh, there you are. Okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. Sure. Uh, he has some good stuff that I like. Like I said, I like him. Uh, so, I know that you are to some extent an Alabaman slash Californian, perhaps some other places too. Oh, I mean, I was, well, a little story about me. I was born in Pensacola, grew up in Alabama, and then spent most of my adult life in California. So, yeah. So, right. And I'm about to be in Alabama. So I'm gonna be back. Yes, he's back. You know, got it. Yeah. And obviously, uh, you and I have both been to the Senior Bowl, though I don't think either of us were there this year. Uh, it is a place that is worth is worth. It. I mean, to me, it's almost like if you are, you know, someone who is a believer of the faith in terms of Islam, you must at some point perform a Hajj and go to Mecca. If you're really serious about this football thing, at some point in your life, you got to make it to Mobile. Pretty much, uh, your your friend is my job. Even if you're not a draft guy, even if you're not a draft yep. guy, let's see this yep. NFL guy going there is interesting. Even if you're just in a NFL place. So. Right, right. Because there's all the people watching. I mean, Jeff Risden, your friend and mine, dropped to some knowledge, some science about some of the interesting off the, away from the practice field extracurriculars. Uh, and you can learn a lot of things, you know, uh, both germane and maybe sometimes less than germane to uh, <clears throat> on the field, you know, performance and evaluations and things like that, because you get to learn a lot about, you know, some so much to figure out friendships. It's like, oh, I don't know if two guys are friends, and sometimes you'll, you know, it's funny because obviously it's a super competitive bunch of psycho alpha males, but to see them in, you know, more friendly collegial settings, you get a chance to see who sits by who, and, you know, obviously there's some shuffling because, right. you know, that's right, because 
there's that seat that used to be Tom Coughlin's seat. Who gets that seat now, right? You know, there's, right. Does it automatically Rizzy fall saying, in that to do? It's like a high school hierarchy is what you're saying, right? That's what you're basically implying. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's a funny thing to go on because, you know, when you've been a, a head coach in the NFL for 15 years, 10 years, whatever, I mean, there's very few guys that, first of all, get to do that that long. You don't, you, yeah, I mean, it's like being a high school senior, you know, who's captain of the football team. I mean, that's your seat. People know not to sit in that seat. And Pretty then, much. Like, you it know, is like, like that. It's, it's a lot like high school. Like, when I was yeah. there, nobody really wanted to talk to me. Uh, <laughs> it's like the first day of high school. Nobody knows me, and there's nobody wants to start a conversation. You kind of start a conversation, and then, like, I have to go to the restaurant. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Oh, he did. Yeah. He ditched me. So you're kind of talking to yourself as well, and then people look at you like, "Who's that guy talking to himself?" You know. Yeah. It's, Maybe it's if you're lucky, crazy. you'll run into a media person who you know. Most of the time, it's a lot of famous people that you don't know. Like, oh, oh hi, Mike Mayak. Hi, Mike Mayak. <laughs> you know, like it's just that sort of thing. You're watching yeah. D-line drills, and then Mike Tomlin stands in front of you, and you don't know whether or not to like be like, "Excuse me," Excuse or, me. Just, <laughs> or just be like, "Nah, I can't do that." It's Mike Tomlin, but I can't see. Of course, I'd have to deal with yeah. that because Mike Tomlin wasn't really that tall. He's tallish, but not no, right. Mike Mike Tomlin and I are about an inch apart in height. <laughs> but uh, that, I didn't that'd be my icebreaker. Like there were some people. Like it was funny during the <laughs> during the sort of D line, you know, offensive line drills, there there were people on the back that were just kinda like walking around like you know, trying to look over people we couldn't really see. Yeah. It's kinda funny. I don't you see yeah. lots of people you see Mike Vrabel. I mean Mike Mike Vrabel's become a defensive coordinator. So when you think about it it's like that guy who was more open to talk to me is now going to be the coordinator. So now he's probably not going to talk to me. You know? Funny how that works. Yes. <laughs> the higher um, up they go, the less likely. That's why I, when I give advice to the, the new guys, it's like, dude, don't go over to try to talk to Belichick unless you just, you know, part of it. Don't even try. He doesn't talk to nobody. <laughs> I, know, I saw exactly. Bill Belichick. He had, uh, he had a sweater on. It wasn't, <laughs> Okay, but it wasn't his classic sweater. It was his undercover sweater, you know, like no Patriots right, right. logo, just right. not even the old raggedy ones you usually see him in. Nope. It's his undercover squirrel. sweater, you know, right. and he's just, just, you know, as fast as I've seen Bill Belichick walk before, <laughs> uh, he walked. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it was like right. speed walking Bill Belichick, just going, you. I don't want to talk to nobody. <laughs> you know, yeah. type of uh, thing. And most of the GMs, they just kind of sit high, I guess because they're GMs, right? You know, like they get yep. lay of the land, right? There's very to, much a hierarchy, yes. You know, I get to see everything from up here, you know. Hmm, I wonder what my scouts are doing. Hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Make sure people are doing their jobs and not just talking to their old high school buddies or college buddies or whatever. And they get to see um, you come, too, you know, because, like, they'll see you coming. That's the other thing, too, is you're like, oh, I'm going to go side of them. And they're like, ooh, no, I see someone is 
attempting to talk to me. <laughs> you know, you should block him. <laughs> well, here's the cool thing. Um, obviously, it helps to go more than one year. You go a few years, then it's like anything else, like pro days. First of all, first I go to pro days. Yeah, I got the very much cold shoulder. And then you get a couple of pro days in, especially if you're slightly by the same circuit. Like they see you at, yeah. hmm, you know, like um, Hofstra. Like, okay, I was at Hofstra's pro day. You know, nothing. Then I was at um, um, Fordham's pro day. Finally, by the time it was Rutgers pro day, you know, some of these guys have seen me a few times in a row. It's like, oh, okay. I guess you don't completely suck as a human being. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Which, I mean, I did talk to people. It's just that it was very much like a library setting in a way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's just like, shh. Right, 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 right. You can't get too boisterous. No, I agree. You know, you, you have to, right, it's like golf. <laughs> Yeah, useful, I mean, that's kind of what it was. I don't know. It was fun. I mean, I got, you know, I, I, there was people that I knew, and it was kind of yep. like, like high school. It's like, hey, I know you. I'm going to hang out with dang. you guys. Hey, there's, yeah, right. I hang out with you guys. Yeah, it's like that. Hey, uh, there go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although I saw Albert, yeah. too. He had his leather jacket on. He looked kind of funny. Yeah. But, yeah. He's hilarious. <laughs> He's just, I wish people could know the real bit all right. <laughs> There's oh, a real the leather, bit all The leather jacket wearing all right. Well, that's he, not really meant by the real bit all right, but he, right, 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 right. He does. No, no, he no, does. Yeah, I know. He does. The funny thing for a guy who's so bit all ish he does care about his appearance. Uh, yes, uh, you will learn that quickly if you don't already know it. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, there's a group of people that you will gravitate towards, and like I said, it's just repetition. If you go to enough pro days, you go to enough. Like the NFLPA, probably because it's not such a big deal, was really easy to talk to people. <laughs> you know, like if you just want contact with the coaches and staff, and well, yeah. you know, that's the one to go to. They'll of all course, talk. Because nobody covers that exactly. <laughs> Maybe, like, maybe if I tell it this guy something, it doesn't matter because it's NFL people. Like, if I say <laughs> so-and-so player looks good, he's a day three pick anyway. Right. I, don't know, I thought that was kind of interesting because there was uh, – I think yeah, it was Josh Norris who actually talked to a couple people, and they said that a lot of teams care more about – like, a lot of their scouts are looking at players. I don't even fit their scheme only because <laughs> – so-and-so team is looking at them, which I thought was kind of interesting because it's because sure. it's, it's kind of like that in the sense of, oh, he's looking at that guy. We have to look at that guy. Is he any good? <laughs> sure. No, he's not right. that good. Really? In the center scheme anyways. You sure about that? <laughs> I think you should go check out that guy. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, I mean, we'll think about this. The college level, if Alabama offers a kid, even if you pull up the deposition, you didn't you didn't like the kid when you looked at him on tape. Um, doesn't fit your scheme, like I said. Got a position of need, but all of a sudden you got to offer it. Well, Alabama offered him. <laughs> you know, it, it's, I wish I were here, but uh, but yeah, there's all this 
that's the thing that kills me about recruiting is how much of it is. I mean, obviously, this is all opinion and subjective and whatever, but recruiting is – I've seen guys go from being three stars to five stars in a matter of a couple of months after – with no football being <laughs> Yeah, I guess. But with no football being played simply because, you know, hey, Saban loves this kid. Well, the kid was a three-star just, you know, <laughs> at the end of the season, back in late November. But by the spring, with no football five being played, you have five stars. Four star, right. four star, and a, four star, five star, depending on who you talk to. I kind of like that right. one. Four right. star, five exactly. star, depending on who you talk to. Talk to. Well, I'm talking to you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think he's a four star. <laughs> I think he's yeah. a four star. Well, you can have two different ways. You can have the sort of. Yeah, I think he's a four star. I don't think he's as good as a. Or you could be like, no, he's a real deal. He's not a star. Yeah. Right. That, that's right. Okay. So I get that aspect of it. But I, I just think that's kind of funny. I mean, it's it's just a, it's a big media sort of event. You know, it's just you have yeah. more famous people there. You know, it's only a matter of time until they have a red carpet, uh, <laughs> like they have. They really should. Yeah, they really should. Yeah, wearing, kinda, it's here wearing a like, 1979 Riddell cutoff hoodie is Bill Belichick. Absolutely. Man. It's kind of like the football Oscars, kind of, in a way. It is It is the football Oscars. That's exactly what it is. You just kind of go there and you run all these people, you know, and you're not normally, like you said, you know, you see Hugh Jackson talking with John Harbaugh and you're like, oh. You know, <laughs> as they're talking right. like human beings, like that's weird. So, like, they're not caricatures, or I don't see NFL Network people around. Like, you know, what's going on here? Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. And the fun thing is, is like, I mean, obviously people talk football, but some of the coolest conversations you'll hear about, like, 60s muscle cars or, you know, uh, by the expensive crap my daughter wants or whatever it is, you hear them discussing. I hear some of that. I hear also like Mean Girls discussions. Yes, like, ripping apart players <laughs> over, and you're like, "Are you fifty year old men or fifteen year old girls in high school?" A little bit of both. <laughs> A little bit of both. Exactly. It's like, you know, oh, what's he look like? Oh, he he looks like a glob of mayonnaise was put onto a spoon and started walking. Yeah. It's like, you know, or like punters. Like, I remember this punter was trying to do punting stuff, and it's like, ah, he sucks. Terrible. Yeah. Awful, awful punter. You know, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. Oh, that was always weird about the senior bowl in particular, man, is like all the wide receivers. I mean, this is the best you could do, Phil Savage. I mean, I hate to call Phil Savage out, but at the wide receiver position this year, this was the best you could do in terms of wide receiver talent. I, I don't know. I mean, Sharon Peak, Chris Moore, Jay Lee, Jordan Payton, KJ May, those guys were really were the best senior wide receivers. In all of college football this year, I don't know. No, no, that, no they are that not. Was my, they are that, that was not. my big sort of what's going on here. 
you know, Carew makes sense. Uh, Shepard makes sense. Shepard, what I noticed, Jacob Coker was killing Shepard. Like, I was watching a couple plays of Sterling Shepard and Jacob Coker, and Coker was, like, throwing these really high balls that Shepard was trying to adjust to, and uh, it didn't end well for Shepard. Like, like Jacob Coker was literally putting receivers in the harm's way, and he fought through it, you know. But I was just thinking to myself, man, if I was Shepard's agent, I'd be like, shut it down, you know. You know, because, like, I don't want my wide receiver to get killed because of Jacob Coker, you know. But, you know. Uh, that, that's one thing I was a little disappointed in was the wide receivers that were there because I felt like they could have done better in terms yep. of that. But um, everything no, else is no cool. love. I was going to say no right. love for the small school wide receivers except for the one sort of late ad really after uh, some people got hurt. Oh, yeah. You mean uh, McRoberts? Well, oh, sorry. I forgot about him. Yeah, McRoberts. Which I mean, he's not a bad player, but I can think of two or three better small school wide receivers. Um, I almost forgot. And then um, the kid they just added at the end of uh, you know Wes Walker. Um, <laughs> so. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that guy definitely. And once again, he's he's a good player, and I like him. I mean, he's a good at. I mean, I like he should have been added. At NFLPA game, quite frankly, but uh, but but I mean, Mike Thomas. I'm not gonna you know start harping, but he was uh-huh. he 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 would have really you know classed it up. <laughs> I guess right. Nobody likes Mike Thomas though. I mean, the NFL doesn't for some reason. I mean, he didn't go to the Shrine Game. Wasn't at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, I kind of hoped he would get the call up with so that makes start it getting hurt. I guess for Mike Thomas, um, who actually is good. I mean, he's a lot better than these other guys. Um, most of them, anyway. Yep. Um, yes, he is. What else? Is the linebackers or okay? I I was wondering like why was Jack Gaines there from Georgia? <laughs> yes. Um, I'm going to assume that somebody connected with the program or his agent or somebody is in good with Phil Savage or one of Phil Savage's people. Yeah. Antonio Morrison makes sense, sort of. Like Martinez is okay. John Jones, sure. Eric Sharker, why not? Jared Norris, okay. Josh Forrest, you know, yeah, most of these guys make sense. But that was the one where I was like, okay. What's going on here? And then, uh, oh, and then you saw Davis Toll, right? He was amazing this this week. Uh, I think he's going to be a top ten pick. Oh, I mean Noah Spence. Sorry, sorry, Noah Spence to be a top ten pick after this week. So, yeah. Oh, uh, that's the only thing I didn't like about this week is you had guys like Braxton Miller. And Noah Spence, and even Sheldon Rankins. And I don't like Sheldon Rankins, but they instantly became first rounders like overnight uh, because of you know just doing okay, decent, you know, 
a little above average in terms of everything, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. Which really happens every year, but you know, I just don't like when people are like, Sheldon Rankins is this year's Aaron Donald. It's like, no, 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 he's not quite that. But okay. But yeah, I just thought that was kind of a little odd in terms of that kind of stuff, but yeah. So, I know you put together a all-metrics team. If you were to put together an all-metrics senior bowl, like north-south roster or whatever, what would it look like? What would it look like? Uh, hmm. It would be Kevin Bayard, Jeremy Cash at safety, for sure. That's based on... Physical, physical measurables, and then of course their production. Um, tight end's kind of a wash, man. Tight end was weird because they had Nick Vanette who came in and didn't have. Uh, he had good physical measurables, but he didn't have the measurables that I was looking for. I guess is what I'll say. Uh, and then Adams had good measurables, but then he had eight and three quarters inch hands. This was odd. He had really long arms and really small hands. So that was Jarrell Adams. So that was a little odd. But they would kind of be the two tight ends. Uh, wide receiver would be uh, Carew and Shepard would be the two there. Running back would be Tyler Irvin and... Uh, Trying to think, probably Kenneth Dixon. Yeah, quarterback would be uh, Kessler and uh, Carson Wentz, I guess. Yeah, Carson Wentz. Tackle Jason Spriggs, Blue Raven Clark. I'm interested to see how he tests though. Uh, guard would be Josh Garnett and Joe Dahl. Center would be Grant. Position, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, center would be Grant Glasgow. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. Linebacker, Blake Martinez, Joshua Perry, Kentrell Brothers, Reggie Ragland. Can I have. Now we're talking. Uh, now we're talking. Yeah, I'd have like four <laughs> linebackers on my all metric team. Even though I can't have them, most of the linebackers are good. Uh, Edge, Carl Nassib, uh, man, Charles Tapper. I thought it was funny. Charles Tapper said that he would bring a winning uh, attitude to whichever team drafts him. So I thought See? that was interesting. See? A little tidbit. Well, he doesn't really bring that attitude to the field, though, but okay. Uh, <laughs> but that would feel much better about why he could, he's going to bring a winning attitude. I like that. Winning attitude to the to, to whatever team, and he, and he makes people laugh. That's what he often says. So, yeah. At that, that point, as a reporter, you go, well, do you have any jokes? And then, you know, you can well, as a reporter, you're not writing any of that down. You just kind of say, oh, well, <laughs> you got to find a 
an actual story, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. Exactly. Uh, Joe Schubert would be there. Jordan, yeah, no offense. Sure. I still don't think he's a top ten pick. That's way too high. But no offense. I can't hear you. I'm sorry. Noah. Oh, Noah Spence. Oh, yeah. Um, I really want to watch more of him. I'll, I'll probably get to him by the end of the weekend. He's uh, I think Bill. I think you saw like a couple years ago when he still at Ohio State. I did like a mini write up on him, and a lot of the things I said he needed to improve on, he he still you know didn't really improve too much on. But um, there's some hand usage there. You know, it was straight up bend and burst when he was at Ohio State. Like at least now he's kind of got a swim move going on, kind of doing some things, but. To me, it, it just really kind of goes to show you because if you get to look at, like, Tyrone Holmes' tape, I mean, they both play FCS football, and Tyrone Holmes dominated this competition. And he's about to go, what, three rounds probably later than Noah Spence because I don't know why. Um, but I, I just – I don't think he's top ten at all. I, I think people are losing their minds. Um, I do want to see him test, though, and see if maybe we can push this guy into the later part of the first. But um, – Right now, I think people should pump the brakes on them. Uh, everyone's looking for that special type of edge rusher right now. They can stand up or put his hand in the ground. And uh, I don't know if Noah Spence is your Superman here. I think that's an answer. But, but I do think he can be a good player. I was just hoping he would be taken somewhere where, you know, it wasn't he wasn't relied upon to be elite, essentially. So, I don't know. Um, D-Tac Cole probably be Sheldon Day and Rankin. Vernon Butler had the best physical metric out of all the guys, but his production was a little iffy at Louisiana, to say the least. So, um, <clears throat> Day and Rankin had much better sort of production. Um, cornerback, I'd be like Kevin Peterson and Kennedy, really. I know people are super excited about DeAndre Hall. And he's really, really he low arms. Right, he does his um, arm. But, but I, I have some news for you. He's not the best corner on his team. Right. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I mean, he has really, really long arms. But that's, you know. James Bradbury also, I guess you could probably say, he's the more impressive physical specimen because he's 209 pounds, you know. DeAndre Hall is 192. So, yeah, one guy that has 10 extra pounds on him with just his long arm. Yep. You know. So, I don't know. You're looking for, like, just a physical sort of thing. Um that's really about it. I mentioned, yeah, cornerback, safety, guard, tackle, stuff like that. I mean, that, those would be kind of a metric sort of stuff. Um, I could say John Theus, but I just don't like John Theus. <laughs> I'd say, Thank you. Technically, yeah. you could say, you could technically say that, oh, he's 6'7", so you should really like him, and he has 34-inch arms and 10.5-inch hands, but I just don't like his tape. So, like, as much as I could objectively say, oh, yeah, he's a metric guy, I I would feel much better with Jason Spriggs 
and uh, LaRaven Clark, at least when it comes to that kind of stuff. And I'm happy about Sprint because at least Sprint's had 34-inch arm. Uh, so now people don't have an excuse to kick him in at guard. I was worried about that for a little bit, you know, because teams do that a lot. Hmm. Um, before I forget, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, gather around. We have been joined by the acknowledged ninth one of the world, the second hardest working man in Chicago sports media, the one, the only, Mr. Monta Hardy. They're going to party like a Monta Hardy party because Monta Hardy party don't stop. Mr. Montel Hardy. <laughs> hey, what's going on, guys? Um, you know, uh, I'm just still taking in senior bowl week, to be honest. It's just funny because the lies, man. The lies. I'm just <laughs> drowning. I'm drowning in all the lies. <laughs> you, know? you know, it's like until this week, it, it's kind of like, um, you know, in Men in Black, where it's kind of like they take, a, what's it, the nebulizer and they make you forget everything you've seen. That's basically what they do when they take you to the senior bowl. You know, it's like you've never seen their tape before. Nope. And if you do, you completely disregard it. These um, are new creatures. Yep, yep. And it's a brand new day for everyone. Um, unless you're an FCS player, in which case you better be the best person on the field or you're just kind of floating. <laughs> you know, you're just, just floating around. So, yeah, guys, um, just kind of taking it all in. Well, here's the good news. Um, apparently, you could build an entire team just based on guys from Alabama and Ohio State. Uh, I learned that from the Senior Bowl. Another amazing potential It turns out that it turns out that Jacob Coker is really good, not terrible as everyone thought. Wow! Nice. I know. He was he's killed. Mm-hmm. With his great. sort of high, oh, I don't even know. Like I, if you're an NFL team, if you're a college football program, and you're not trying to hire Lance, then I don't know what you're doing. Because you're not doing what? You are a college football team, and you're not hiring Lance. I don't know what you're doing. Because let's look at a guy, Jacob Coker, a guy that couldn't beat up like him, a guy that has had barely any experience whatsoever, a guy that pretty much lost his job halfway into actually starting a little bit and then winning it back, took that guy and turned him into a legit NFL prospect in the eyes of the scout. I was about to say, but, but, but is he, though? But, but is he? You know, like... He's not a legitimate object, but in the that's eyes, the perception, see, that's the thing, kind of like perception, perception, the, 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 the scout's perception of him is the yeah. NFL prospect. He's at Mobile, and as they always say, when you put a bunch of blood together and something sticks out, people go, oh, well, he stuck out, so he must be good. Type of mentality uh, about stuff, you know. Uh, that's kind of how the season kind of is. That's why I don't like people making sweeping judgments about it because you don't you don't really know 100. percent Like some of these guys that are going up against are backup level players. Um, some of them aren't. Some of them are good players, but some of them are also eh, players. 
but yeah, yeah, I just think it's funny that Jacob Coker. It's really the big tall white guy thing. It's like you know, big tall white guy sitting okay, in the tree. A I S S I N G. Like every single year, it's a big tall white guy. This year it was Carson Wentz as well. Carson Wentz was going into this game like that. That's the main thing, and he's going into this with people saying he's a potential top ten pick. Number four, he's. I, he might have I, to trade up I, above I, number I four know. if you are careful. <laughs> I, I told you guys this could happen because even last year's class, which really lacked depth, they were front-line guys, you know. You you took a guy, you could just pose them against Winston and Mariota, and you're like, okay, well, they're at least number three. Like, that's the best they could be. This year, people don't really love Lynch. For some reason, people don't love Goff. Um, for clear reasons, people don't love Cook, but, you know, I <laughs> This is this is this is what you have. Like um, you have a draft with well a lot of guys that would normally go in the second or third round, uh, mm-hmm. potentially going potentially going top fifteen and uh, top ten. I, 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 I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying that this is this is what we've come to. You know, this is because what I worry <laughs> about is the Cleveland Browns. This is what I worry. This is why I worry about Pete. You know, I, I worry for Pete. Uh, safety, you know, safety. <laughs> Uh, every day, you know, he lives in Cleveland, you know, like, it's Cleveland, guys, you know, like, he lives in Ohio, uh, and all that kind of stuff, but Cleveland Brown fan, been through a lot of stuff, uh, you know, um, he, he has a, a 2014 draft class, remember, Bill, his dream draft yes, class was Mac and his Derek dreams Carr. of glory, <laughs> oh, God, and you know feet. who ultimately got that? I did, so, it's kind <laughs> oh. of like, <laughs> One guy that got it was me, and it's like it's kind of like survivor's guilt, kind of in a way. It's like you know, I have a franchise that's on the way out, and he doesn't, and he could have, he could have had yeah. a franchise yeah. on the way up, but yeah. they decided not to do that. And now there's a potential with, I mean, I I I know Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson is somebody who is a great coach, he's really fun. But he's a bit of a gambler, too. And he would be like Carson Wentz. That's my jam. Tall, white guy. I can work with that, you know. And and I could see him taking a guy like that, that eye, if he actually was pulling the trees. Of course, how much power does he have? We don't know. How much influence does Depodessa, you know, have on terms of stuff? I don't know. Because I think as, a, as an analytics guy, he would look at Carson Wentz and go, you know. Well, it depends on what you're analyzing, technically. But yeah, depending you're on what right. you're analyzing. But if you're yeah. analyzing his production and you're analyzing the success rate of players coming out of the FCS level and you're analyzing all that kind of stuff and you're looking at his touchdown-interception ratio, which is actually kind of meh for his competition level, then you're kind of a little bit scared. Or yeah, I, I agree. Um, I don't know. Like we all know the Browns' tragic history of drafting a quarterback. They've they've eluded good quarterbacks, and I mean it's it's really you know tragic. I don't I don't know what to tell you. But if I were them, I'd probably try to just take the best guy on the board. And I don't think there's a way four quarterbacks go in the first. So um, if you have to do Cook in round two, I oh. I think. You know, if you have to, 
if you have to. Um, I mean, that's, of course, saying that Lynch, Goff, Lynch, and, uh, well, whoever you like better than that is off the board. Yeah. If, if you have to do well, it. Well, if you're the Browns, you have all the options that are available to you. The Titans aren't taking quarterback, ladies and gentlemen. Um, they either are <laughs> no, trading down. Shocker. They probably won't. Because yeah. I don't think any team would trade up to the number one pick and give up that much to get a one quarterback in this draft class. At least I don't think so. I would hope not. I would hope that isn't the case. But this isn't like an Andrew Luck or RG3 type of class uh, at the position. Uh, and, of course, it's, not even, a, it's, not, even a, it's not even a Cam Newton, Blaine Gabbert, Jake Walker kind of class. Yeah, exactly. So you, you surely should do that. So Cleveland Browns have that, that the world is theirs to to destroy or or do the right thing. Uh, I hope they do the right thing, which is to draft a better player, and then worry about quarterback <laughs> later. But yeah, I kind of want to talk about Connor Cook though, because sure, this is the interesting thing about it. Was I was talking to Donovan, and uh, I'm not talking too out of school about anything because I talked to him, and Donovan said it was cool, but he's like you know talking with. Uh, uh, Whitfield, you know, Whitfield, George Whitfield, quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, we interviewed the tight end. He had a tight end that was with him and stuff like that. He was kind of, I hate to say cute, but it was. He was like, oh, my gosh, it's so tight spiral. I've never caught such such tight spiral balls in my entire life. Like, that's how the tight end came off. Because uh, he's catching balls from Cardell Jones and Connor Cook, you know. He's like, he's a high school tight end. And he's oh, like... This is a new experience for me. I'm not saying my quarterbacks suck, but these guys are amazing. But, like it was that right. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, but. And, uh, but anyways, and we and also guys, I, I I'll let you guys know, but Donovan might be able to get Cardell Jones to get on his show, possibly. It's, yeah, it might be I don't think work. Cardell wants to do that because I'm not gonna throw softballs at him. I'm gonna ask him some hard questions. <laughs> Yeah, he, he's going to dig into, you know, him and Ronda Rousey's on edge conversation. And, uh, you know, it's going to be not quite my bailiwick, but I'm going to ask him about identifying <laughs> – I'm asking about identifying safety rotations. I'm going to ask him some stuff about, you know, why he didn't seem to know when the middle of the field was open versus when it was closed at times. I'll ask him questions about that. Oh, no, Bill, I think we Bill, lost, I think we lost Bill. Those types of questions now, because then we'll get the truth. Yeah, so not, you can't ask those types of questions. Now. Yeah, Donovan might, you know, drop you. Yeah, your, your I don't think Donovan's ever done that. Yeah, your call might but, be mysteriously lost, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, so Donovan dropped some knowledge about Connor Cook, and the reason why was because I was asking him. Why isn't Connor Cook at the at the Senior Bowl? Because if you're a guy who's trying to get your rep up, there's right. really no better way to do that than to go to the Senior Bowl, which is all right. about getting your rep up. Like that's it's all what about. it's for. How yep. you doing, media people? I'm Connor Cook. Hi, how are you doing? You know, kissing babies and high fiving. You'll be you'll so, be glad to know that I'm 100 percent douche free. Exactly. Uh, it said he doesn't go, and then. It comes out that Phil Savage reports that it's, you know, it's, it was his decision. Basically, yep. the shame. Healthy scratch. 
Ding, ding, exactly. ding, ding. Shame. <laughs> Shame yep. on you. Kill Savage with Bear. He, he picked three dudes and said, yeah, these three, they declined, and they are Shame. 100% healthy. <laughs> Shame. Exactly. But yeah. John told yeah. me mm-hmm. that Cook, now of course, it could, it could be Lion. I don't think Donovan's Lion, but apparently, you know, I don't think Whistle is a Lion. But that he had shoulder issues. Yeah, still he got shoulder Which, soreness, and yeah, right. I mean, it's nothing crazy serious. But. It makes a little bit of sense because he did have that shoulder thing, and you know when Donovan told me, "Hey, go back and look at the games after the shoulder injury. You'll see that there was no drop in velocity," and I do yep. agree with that. You know, so maybe his shoulder is. Now, or or it could be worse than it actually is, and he just doesn't want to let teams to know about that until the combine. I'm I'm just speculating, but that's something that I would could speculate about. So you're saying that when they put shows up to the combine, they're gonna look I'm and suddenly the fighter's shoulders just full of like old Studebaker flywheels and staples and pieces of, you know, broken stuff and glass and, uh, you know, it's like dog teeth. I mean, is that what's going to yeah. happen? It'll find this bullet. Oh, my God. I'm just saying. Oh. To, to quote, Some gorilla one glue my To quote one of my favorite Reno 91 sketches, hypothetically speaking, you know, <laughs> if your shoulder was this, you know, like, like yes, I think hypothetically, again, <laughs> speculating, you know, make believe. I think his shoulder might have a little bit something more wrong with it that he doesn't want people to know, and he would rather get shaved than to let people know about it. But I don't know. Again, make believe, speculation. You know, hypothetically speaking, it's either that or I don't see the douchebag. But I mean, you know, he's he's he's. He's different, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, I, it's bad. Um, well, see, that's better than what I heard because I I read somewhere that someone said that it didn't fit into his schedule. Like that's part of the reason yes. why he decided he yes. didn't want to go. And and I guess that yes. could be vague. Maybe you know, there's a undercover surgery going on, and he's got you know <laughs> Doctor Nick from The Simpsons, who's not licensed, doing some undercover work on his arm. Listen, I don't know, bro. But, Listen, but, uh, bro. Every single January, I go to San Diego and ride the waves, bro. Yeah, yeah. So, this bro interfere with that, bro. But here's here's what I will say: is that based on some of the research I've done, I'm really curious to see what kind of clicks Wonder League score is going to be, because I think it it kind of matters. Um, from what I've seen, and this is you know really weird, but. Basically, um, you know, I mean, we all know the truth. His his completion percentage hasn't been very good. But um, as a result, though, um, you know, there have been guys that have made it and had not so good completion percentages. Um, I think Jay Cutler, Matt Stafford, and Colin Kaepernick all, you know, had, you know, middle row careers, um, even though that's, you know, kind of been their thing. And kind of like when I looked at it, I noticed that especially I think Kaepernick, 
had a, a lower completion percentage. But the thing all three of them had in common was that they scored very high on the exam. Uh, Jay yeah. Cutler being one exception with, I think, a score of 26, which is still above average. Um, Kaepernick was nearly 40. I think Stafford was like a 29. So just saying that, you know, I, I know, you know, the half-field half reads, he's, he's got to learn how to be a nuanced passer. It's, it's pretty clear, like, when you watch his tape that, um, you know, when he has to move off the first read, if he's pressured, that's when the stress and anxiety begins, and then he just feels like throwing the ball, and where he goes, it just goes. But if he has a high one-to-lick score, you can almost make the case that, you know, maybe in time he can be taught some things. Um, and I think that's what might save him from the draft abyss. Um, but that's, well, of course, the thing that he scores high. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's true. He's always got the fighting chance. He's always, he's always down, but never out. Well, you know, as Bill says, and I do agree that the wonder look when it comes to, you know, people of the uh, African-American variety, they don't typically score as high on the wonder look for reasons. So, you know, kind of took has the white factor going for him. So historically speaking, again, hypothetically, you know, make, make the lead. I think he could possibly score well enough. Of course, he could. And of course, you know, like Derek Carr, he scored like a 24 in the one. Like, go figure, you know. That was kind of odd. Um, but, yeah, when I saw it, too, I was surprised when I was doing the scores. I almost didn't believe it, so I kept checking around. But that was, nope. that was really what it was. But he did. Uh, Teddy didn't score necessarily high either, which also surprised me. And Yeah, there's plenty of surprises in there. But, um I think some things do kind of make sense, you know, especially with the score and where it falls. And that kind of average range, 24, 25, 26, they all kind of lead the same type of career, even though 24 is considered average. 25 and 26 aren't really better, you know. When you get to that 27-ish range, that's when it's like, oh, well, you know. When you get to that 28 range, that's when you're talking about Peyton the range of all time, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. I think uh, one, one of my favorite things was that Johnny Manziel had the same wonder lick as uh, 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 Steve, Steve Young. Young. Steve Young, yeah. yeah. Same, both of them wonder lick as Steve Young. Uh, that's the only thing they share in common, though, is that. And height. Yeah, that's right. He still doesn't have any clue about the type of things Manziel has seen, so. No. <laughs> Yeah. Mormons yeah. don't get down like that. <laughs> Not like that, no. <laughs> oh, the stories that oh man. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I'm not gonna rehash the whole man's all thing, but I remember when someone said, Oh, he's hanging with Rob Gronkowski, I was like, Well, I'm done. My work here is over. <laughs> Like, oh, it's like you don't see an obvious difference between the two. Like, this is where we landed, you know. But people are so bad, you know. Yeah. Well, <sighs> I wish him all the best. I hope the young man straightens out of life, etc. Um, but yes, the senior bowls. Maybe I should write an article about that. The magical mist of forgetting that the senior bowl that wafts off from Mobile and just settles over everyone's minds. Yep. Like Tom Davis last year, remember? Tom Davis was like, he's an unstoppable machine. Look at him go. 
you know, type of stuff. Uh, the thing I will say is that the Senior Bowl, every single year, the defensive line group always looks awesome. And it kind of makes sense because that's how, like, it's supposed to be. Like, the drills are almost, if you're a defensive tackle and you turn on the senior bowl, I don't know what you're doing. You know, if you're an edge player, you turn on the senior bowl, I don't know what you're doing either. Because it's just a venue for you. You have to be, you have to be awful to not at least do some good plays. Like, it's, you know, one-on-one matchups, it's, you know, and and oftentimes your the offensive tackles are a distinct disadvantage in a lot of times, um, and there's no and quarterback time, you're trying man. to get. Yeah, yeah they, they get an unruly amount of time. Like if anyone saw that Noah Spence fine, it's like he took like six seconds to push the dude into the coach, and it's like wow, look at Noah Spence. I'm like, dude. In reality, the ball could have been thrown twice. <laughs> the quarterback could have made the read and thrown twice. There are certain positions where you, I understand, like if you're a running back, but if you're like a power back, the senior bowl may not do you particularly any favors. But if you're most of the skill position players, other than perhaps running back, particularly big back, um, but any other position, you, you should look pretty darn good at the senior bowl. And as we just pointed out, obviously, uh, defensive line and, you know, edge-type guys. Yes, why would you not go? Uh, um, if you're a wide receiver, but a quick wide receiver, what would stop you from going to the senior bowl? Yeah, like Braxton Miller, yeah. I mean, if you've got really good quickness, are you kidding me? You don't have to be a particularly good route runner. You don't have to be – just be super quick and have good hands. If you can do those two things. People start trying to push you into the first round, or like, mm-hmm. you know, Atlanta at seventeen. Braxton Miller, come on down. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that's what they need. I've already seen some limited drop concepts, but yeah. So, I, I mean, if you're Carolina, right, and you're drafting thirty-two or thirty-one. I can kind of sort of see that, though I still think it's a tiny bit rich. But if your team really has legitimate needs, look, I've watched Braxton Miller his entire career from when he was a running from not running back, when he was a quarterback till to now. He is a, a tough, smart player. Uh, he's got some qualities, some stuff he can't teach, competitiveness, pretty good football IQ. I mean, there's things there. But guys like, I mean, people compare him to Cobb, right? I mean, that's a, the current comparison du jour. Well, Cobb uh, was actually productive. Yes. And I don't know if people remember, he played wide receiver yeah. and, and ran rounds and, and caught the ball. Yeah, he just stands to a wildcat quarterback. But here's the point. He was really good on a not very good Kentucky team. And True. I mean, I mean, but I mean, he jumped off the tape at you, jumped off the tape at you, and he was by far the best player. And they funneled the ball to him wisely. So, um, yeah, and he, and he didn't go. Ohio State funneled the ball to Braxton Miller, though. It was uh, like, why are you doing this? Ezekiel Elliott is like right there, man. Like, 
Drink that. You know, he's got to force feed him because, you know, he's so great that we have to intentionally throw you the ball a lot, you know, set aside targets for you, you know, and then you still catch 26 balls, you know. <laughs> that would be the real question to ask Cardell Jones. That would be the real question to ask if there was a little bit of that going on, you know. Well, yeah. Certain guys asking to, you know, get some targets even though it wouldn't help the most in the game plan during the game. I don't know. That's an interesting question. I, <laughs> but, I mean, like I said, that's the current comparison du jour. And I, I think Brad Smith, frankly, is a more apt comparison, but nobody's going to go there, I guess. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> I bet, and watch. I yeah, bet but you actually thought Brad Smith Brad was Smith. a legit quarterback, though. He, he probably could Brexit Miller is a legit quarterback. That's that's the real – because I, cause I well, like Braxton Miller – I was interested to see what step he was going to take, and then it was just, you know, had the injury, and then that was it, really. Um, right. Decided to stay in school, uh, which I guess was a good decision. And it I was a great back decision. Then, I said <laughs> back then that it doesn't matter. People were like, what do you mean it doesn't matter? I'm like, he, he's Braxton Miller. Like, he's the highest trophy candidate guy. Like, no matter when he comes out, injured or not, there's going to be people, like, going, ooh, let's check out Braxton Miller. And what do we see right now? Ooh, look at Braxton Miller. So, like, you know, like, he's going to have yeah. appeal no matter what. Right. But if he come out last year in that wide receiver class, if he was perceived as a wide receiver, I don't ooh. think there'd be people trying yeah. to push him into the first round. Yeah. I mean, he, I don't, I'd be a tough sell. That'd be a tough sell. It's a very tough sell. So thanks for timed it. I think he timed it beautifully. I mean, I think that this was the proper year for him to come out. Well, he had to this year. I mean, this was the he made the right choice. This was the time. This was a much better. Even though he didn't have a great year in terms of doing anything on the football field for the most part. Well, hold on Uh, a minute here. ESPN spin moves highlight. Come on, right? The spin moves. On the run, remember? Right. Right, yes. The Madden level spin move, remember? And, yeah, thankfully, I don't just use the Sports Center top 10 for my scouting purposes. I try to watch full games. So, by doing so, I realized several things. And people love to talk about what what a route runner he is. Largely theoretical is the term I think I've used to describe that. He did not run. People like to take shots at the Baylor uh, receivers. Go back and look at Braxton Miller's whole last season and tell me if you saw him running, quote-unquote, a pro-style complete route tree. If you can find that, show it to me. He didn't really do that. No, No, he didn't. He did the run to the ball. He just kind said, Braxton, if you run route. here and you beat your man, we can give you the ball, okay? So so run this go route, okay? I'm going to throw the ball here and you get it here, yeah. Yeah, basically. I saw slants. I saw goes. I saw hitches. I saw watch your screen. Um, basically, it's describes Corey Coltman, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm trying to see if I missed anything. Oh, but this is like, actually the big thing I don't – I've kind like of – Like a stutter Maybe I've evolved a little bit as a wide receiver watcher, but 
I'm not so much because of how offenses are in college football. I'm not so much a right nudie oh, sort of. Saying. He didn't run the whole route tree. But no one, but no one does. Right. That's my no point. One does. Is that? But people are t- are taking shots at Corey Coleman, and somehow yeah. Braxton Miller is a great route running technician. I'm like what? Uh, I think you're talking about Michael Thomas, though. But you know, but um, I, I just I just look at it, how is he running his routes? Like, when you see Corey Coleman running his route, sure, he's not running the entire route tree, but what is he doing? He's getting separation. He's running with intensity. He's running with, you know, breakneck speed. You know, he, in terms of his, you know, glide manipulation, his sprint manipulation, like, oh, he's doing all these things to manipulate his opponent and get separation. He just isn't running every single route on the route tree, but that doesn't matter anymore. I don't know. I, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but, like, it's just... To me, like I said, who is? I mean, how many teams run an offense where guys, you get to see a guy run a deep comeback and a dig and a curl and, you know, speed out and a regular out and you get to see him run um, post-corner and you get to see him... I mean... It, how many offenses even have everything in terms of the route tree in it? Alabama kind of, sort of. Yeah. Stanford kind of, sort of. LSU does some of those things. Kind of, sort of. Uh, yeah, badly, yeah. but yes. But they, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. When they try to pass, they try, you know. <laughs> yeah, they go all out, don't they, <laughs> They try. It's like, hey, let's do an out route. It's like, nope, nope, Zach, sorry. I, I, sorry, Jarrell, I, I, tr- I tried. I couldn't stay the wheel route long enough. You know, they, do, they have the wheel route. I've seen them. You know, Malachi Dupree, he actually runs a fairly decent wheel route, doesn't actually get the, the ball as easy to get to where he's going. But, right. So there's like, there's 128 teams now in, uh, in SBS. Yep. And so if my math is right, something like 0.3 something percent. No, not even that. Sorry. That's too high. It's 10%. It's, no, it's not even that. Well, five, what, five, maybe six. No, it's not even that. If if we named Alabama, let me just see. LSU, Alabama, kind of sort of USC, Michigan, Stanford, Michigan. Right there we go. Uh, do we leave anybody out? Michigan State. We kind of got it. Um, yeah, yeah, they 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 do some real receiver things in Michigan State. Right, they do. So, I mean, so right. So okay. So. That's yeah. seven out of 128. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I'm just checking. Yeah. Okay. So that's 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 not much. That's a really low, 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 low. I mean, that's a low, 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 low percentage. That's way below 10. percent You know, that's yeah, like four point. I don't know, seven something, eight percent. So unless you're only going to draft from a tiny percentage of the total talent pool, yes, we're going to have to simply fuck up and take players who didn't run a complete route tree. That's just the fact of life going forward in this modern world in which we live. And as crotchety and crusty and old as I am, if I can see that and accept it, I would think everybody could. I'm just saying it's funny. I can everybody else, yeah. It's just funny to me that whenever I look at anybody's scouting report on Corey Coleman, at some point, some of them practically lead with it, but others, it always comes up fairly early on, you know, doesn't 
and run the complete route tree. Well, you could put that in every single scouting report that you do this about for a wide receiver with very few exceptions. But what makes him different is that he doesn't do the, uh, you know, the uh, blocking sort of. Well, he does do blocking. He just, it's, uh, it depends if the play is going right. through his side. It's all contingent. So, I, I, like, I don't know. I mean, I usually explain to people. If you have issues with, with Baylor, that's the thing. If you evaluate Baylor's offense long enough, you'll start to see a pattern here, I guess. I, I hope people would be smart enough to pick up the pattern, which is that they're coached a certain way to do things and um, in terms of blocking, in terms of everything else. Uh, and as a result, what you see as, like, laziness, which is a common sort of thing, um, is really not laziness at all. It's just their coach to not really do, like, this is your break, you know. It's actually pretty smart. It's smart because as a cornerback, look at it like this, Bill. You're going like, is he going to run? Okay, he's taking a break. And then the next play, he's going full sprint nine route, and you get off guard because you're like, I thought he was breaking, and he wasn't, and then he's gone. So, like, it's kind of interesting, that aspect of it. In the quarterback, you don't know whether or not he's coming or going sometimes. You know what I mean? Um, and he kind of does that a lot. Like, that's kind of what I like about Corey Coleman. I don't know. I, I don't want to be defending Corey Coleman this entire show, but I just think that there's more to Corey Coleman's game than just, oh, he has a limited route tree and all that other kind of stuff. There's other things, nuances to the position he does really well that I think people don't pay attention to. Exactly. And and that's what I was about to say is that when I look at receivers now, you kind of have to look at their physical, physical capabilities and what they can do. Like, if you look at him, you know, he's explosive. And, and he's not stiff. Like, if you want him to – if you actually teach him routes, I think he'll run them very well. Um, he has, to me, the type of agility and body control to be able to learn and execute routes. He just hasn't been taught to do it. So, um, I just don't see physical barriers preventing him from running, like, good routes in the NFL. So the um, the last thing, sort of on the the subject of the Senior Bowl, we've seen, you know, obviously Sheldon Rankins, right? He's been anointed, along with Braxton Miller. Uh, you know, Carson Wentz had a Carsonification, whatever coronation, whatever. I don't know. Carson, Carson whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. He did big tall white guy things, and people were like, "Well, he didn't suck." So you know, first round, first round. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, and he did successfully do tall white stuff. So I think that he's a good athlete, and he's got a good arm, and uh, winner. Made Jerry right? Jones laugh. Yeah. Right, and he's he's a winner. You know, people well, say that, but like he lost games. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he just got a win, but he lost games. Uh, well, not he, not very many. <laughs> not very many, but he's at a program that, I mean, I, I mean, I have not interviewed Wentz, but I was more impressed with uh, the quarterback before Carson Wentz. Oh, Brock Jensen, like, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. In terms of that, uh, but. Somebody liked Mark Jensen because he wasn't a big tall white guy. He was a no, he was West Coast variety. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> Six one yeah. and change. Yeah, they don't like that. <laughs> that so, does not excite people. But he was the one that was more like, oh, interesting kind of guy. Um, well, I mean, I he was talking about leadership. I mean, that's one of those guys you throw yourself out of grenades for. <laughs> he told you exactly. To do it. <laughs> Carson Wentz is just sort of, you know, I again, mean, I'm not not the guy. I'm just saying. I'm speculating hypothetically. Right. Uh, exactly. I just think that he's. He probably doesn't come off as much as Brock Gibson in terms of that kind of stuff. And he's coming. And he, yeah, he won a lot of games, but he was at a program that was on the tail end of one of the most historic, at least, yeah. you know, right? Well, Debo, in terms of wins. Point, at, at the Division One level, it is the most historic. Nobody's had five back to back to back to back. How many back to backs you need to say to get the five? This, this is it. I mean, people have done it. I think was it Amherst that holds the record for any level of football in terms of back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. They have, like, seven um, right. at the Division three level. But nobody at Division two level, in fact. So you have to go down to Division three. No, sorry, not Amherst, Augustana, sorry. Augustana holds the um, all-levels record for back-to-back-to-back-to-back championships at seven in football. But number two... All levels of football is now North Dakota State University with five. So yes, I mean they clearly have something going on there. Uh, I mean, like I said, we've talked about his pros and cons in the past. I mean, he is a good athlete. He is um, a guy who he's got a fairly decent football IQ, but their offense isn't predicated on him throwing the football. No, they are a a running team clearly. Yeah. The other thing, too, though, I know people hate the question, but, I mean, he didn't really start that much, you know? Nope. 22, and, yeah. Sorry, 22 games. Yeah. He didn't beat out Brock Jensen. No, but he, The no, NFL didn't no. like that much. <laughs> no. So, and if he's and just an amazing never, first-round well, caliber now, quarterback. Well, not only did he not beat him out, Jim. Kind of a petty question. Not only did they not, did not beat him out, there was never even a controversy. I mean, I follow that program. There was never even a who who's gonna no. It was Brock's program until Brock graduated. There was no, exactly. never even a hint of a quarterback controversy. It never came up. So that that that's a sort of it's a question again, hypothetically speaking. You know, make, it's a question that is kind of unfair. Not really unfair. Well, you know, it's just a question of if this guy is a top ten pick top 10 quarterback, if he was that talented of a player, if that's what you're saying, which he is a very talented player, but if he's that talented of a player, of a quarterback, why can't he be on Brock Jensen? Hmm. It's a great question. Now, some of it comes down to, I mean, this is where the correct usage of the word intangibles is that Brock Jensen's intangibles were elite. His tangibles may not have been elite or even above average. But his that's but true. His, but his intangibles were clearly elite. When you're in the NFL, you run into guys who have intangibles or better intangibles. So I don't know. I I, I don't know what the question I'm asking, but like that that's sort of the thing that I. Well, the, the question the question you're asking is how did Carson Wentz become a, a a guy who now is being discussed early in the first round? Part of it is. Oh, look at his massive! Look at his massive hands. 
You know, right. look at this. Cam right? Newton so there's this. Yeah. Right, right. So, right, he's this giant of a man. You know, that makes hearts all a flutter. Oh, he's so tall. Oh, broad shoulders. Look at his big old hands. Oh, I do declare. Right? So you've got that um, with people clutching their pearls. Then, you know, the whole winter thing or whatever. I mean, you know, the... They win at Northern State University. All the bleeping time, pretty much, they win. Now, as should be pointed out, when he was hurt, there was really no drop-off. I don't know if you saw when Austin Stig, who was, what, a fresher freshman, true freshman, whatever he is, he went yeah. out there, and they looked Played pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> they looked pretty darn good with him out there, too. So, Left I don't know how much. Yeah. Brought, right. I don't know how much people took that into account that, was it six games? No, it wasn't that many. It was it was it was, it was oh, like no, the last. Wasn't that many? Yeah. It was like the right, it was like three games. It was the last game of the um, season. Was finished by Austin Stig, and then he started the first couple of playoff games, except for the championship game, where conveniently enough, Carson Wentz went back out there, and you know he did. He tore it up. I mean, that's there's no getting around that. He he carved him up for good. That was a pretty decent team that he carved up. So, you know, there is that. But but yes, I mean. Taken in a vacuum, if people weren't overly impressed by things outside of his actual production and tape and things like that, he's a guy that people would probably have ranked in the mid-30s, you know, on their boards. But you and I both know that when you add in big, tall, white guy, as you pointed out, you add in, you know, the it's more than that. I mean, to me, I don't know. I've watched a lot of Carson Wentz in the beginning of the year and then watched him this year. I don't really have him in the 30s, really. I mean, he's I mean, he's a talented. He's a talented player. I mean, you know. Um, but I just, as in terms of his accuracy, he wasn't always very consistent. Um Ooh, no, no. And I thought comes and goes. Yeah, comes and goes. Yeah, and I thought that you know his mechanics were a little off because he was six foot six, but he's six foot five. You know, and I know that six foot five guys can definitely have mechanical issues, but I was thinking, oh, he might get the excuse of like he's just really, really tall, and that's why he has poor mechanics. Right? But he's actually kind of right. Right. Well, people people took Paxton Lynch to to task for his mechanics, which. Once again, he's legitimately well. We don't know exactly what height he is, but we don't know. He, what, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I can tell you this much: he's taller than Carson Wentz. I mean, unless my scout's eye is is going, he's taller than, <laughs> than Wentz. And I'm guessing by at least an inch and a half. I'll be shocked. Right. I don't think he's I don't think he's six seven or six eight, but I think he's more than six six. Right. I don't know. I just there's just a part of me in my deep little. I don't know, my instincts, whatever, my gut, you know, uh, that sort of thing, the six inches between, you know, your chest plate and your back. Yeah, there's something there that, like, when you say Carson Wentz first round, I cringe a little bit. When you say day two, I'm like, okay, Sean Manning went day two, makes sense. You say day three, I'm like, ah, yeah. Right there. That's the. Uh, I feel like in most drafts, that's, that's probably what you're talking about. In 2014, 
That's probably what you're talking about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't know. Right. But there's there's no way on God's green earth he makes it. No. I mean, no he won't. I, I think he'll probably maybe at some point early day two, it'll probably be when he comes off the board realistically. But I, right. I, I'd really like, you know, it's just people are taking a lot of unnecessary risks in the first. And it's kind of like, you know, the second and third round exists for these type of guys, you know? <laughs> You know, like, is that what this is about? Like, let's get the surest thing, you know? Um, right. And I always, you know, I said it before, Bill, you know, the, the, the cool kids, you know, the top teams don't hang out in the top five or six picks, you know? So let's let, let's let's get the most assurance that they don't, you know, go back and pick at the same spot next year. So um, I, don't, I don't know if you'll land on Carson Wentz when that's what you're thinking. But, okay. Well, there will be one team that will. And I, for one, will be, like, it'll be hilarious. You know, some boring balls in the Cowboys. Hats off. How about the Cowboys? Uh, I don't think that will happen, but I can't think it out. Um, so, you kind of, I try to answer that, kind of a little, your voice kind of fading out a little bit. Oh, I was just saying, if he does go as high as four overall for the Cowboys, you know, wow, how about the Cowboys? Um, <laughs> if, if if Jerry is indeed smitten with him and no one's able to talk to him, you know, which somebody might. I mean, clearly in the past few years, people have managed to talk Jerry down off of potentially several ruinous. <laughs> Several yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like, he had text Johnny Manziel going, come on, Jerry, we can party together. Come no, on, but, please, please, trust me. Please. You know, he, he resisted that. I remember that sort of like when they when they finally drafted Zach Martin, it was just the whole room was quiet. Everybody could just some pins and needles because they're like, please, Jerry, don't draft Don't draft Jerry Manziel. <laughs> So they're all just praying in their minds. Just like, <laughs> and then they go to Zach Martin. They're like, yes! <laughs> you know, because yep. they were like, oh, my gosh. But you, you know Johnny Manziel was sitting his text up, man. You know Johnny Manziel was like, come on, Jerry. You know you want me. You know, like that sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> and he did. I just think Jones' son, you know, having him like one of those Dad, 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 we're not dad, we're not gonna do this, right? Remember you promised me, Dad, you're gonna you're gonna care about the draft, right? Remember that? Okay, you know, I just kinda picture that, that scene going on in their draft room, you know. Put the alcohol down, Dad. I promise, you know, we're not gonna do it. You know <laughs> So I don't know. Who knows? But they they made a great call anyway. Yep. I hope so. I, I don't know. And he's also a little older, too, which is not the biggest deal in the world. I hate to make that argument. Well, how old is he? Is he like it's such a petty argument. Yeah, that's that's kind of like the benchmark from what I'm seeing. Like, you don't want to be 24, but the funny thing is you'll find a lot of people that are about 23, over 23. And to me, I count you as, you know, basically – 23 and a half, almost 24, if you're going to be 24 by the time the season starts. So I know it's nice to be 23 in April, but you're going to be 24 when the time camp starts. So when I evaluated him, I just 
you know, you're basically 22. Right. And, like, I basically explain it like this, is that there have been guys that were, like, 23 and a half that were really successful, like Russell Wilson. But Russell Wilson was a guy that you could easily have made a case that he should have, like, left the, to, for the draft as a junior. You know, it's just that he was short, and, like, NFL teams are like, no. So he was like, all right, fine, you know. I'll just keep playing college football because you don't like me. Uh, and, and, you know, because, it, it like, it's a it's like that. Like, Russell Wilson was a guy that easily could have came out of the year and still would have been really good. It's just that he stayed another year just because he, you know, right. for whatever reason, either through well, NFL team's advice or, you know, whatever, he decided to stay another year. And, you know? and you know, he's a guy who wanted just – I mean, he was, had some things to prove football-wise, but he was a guy that – you know, had things legitimately he wanted to accomplish off the football field as well. So as a graduate transfer, I mean, people may or may not care about this, but this guy, you know, won over a whole new group of individuals in a record time, basically, was a good student, not that people pay any attention to this, but he was actually a legitimately good student as a graduate student at Wisconsin. I mean, he just did some pretty amazing stuff, you know, that I think people, you know, overlook at times. I mean, that's something that he and Richard Sherman have in common. They got a couple of guys on that team with master's degrees, you know. They, it's worth mentioning. Yeah. They got some dudes with some interesting accomplishments on that team. The, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you looked at him as a – sophomore, right, as a redshirt sophomore, if you just looked at it, literally looked at him and, you know, got past the, once again, the fear of his height, you could see then that you're looking at a guy, to me, that was a future NFL quarterback. First of all, he ran a one of the more complex, we're talking about teams that, you know, have a pretty complex offense or complete offense. That offense at the time that they had at NC State was you know, a leftover, whatever term you want to use, from when Norm Chow was the offensive coordinator. It was one of the more brain-heavy, you know, complicated things, more stuff going on than all but a handful of offenses. And he mastered it pretty quickly. And like I said, by the time, you know, his second year starting, yeah, it was undeniable. And, of course, he's super athletic on top of that. And he would have finished out his career as a fifth-year senior at NC State if not for, you know, the legendary baseball brouhaha with Coach O'Brien. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But my point is, my only point is that Russell Wilson, you know, was 23 and a half, but he legit was, you know, like there's a lot of stuff like breakout years and stuff like that. Like his breakout was in the 23 and a half. Like it wasn't like he was, you know, that last year was finally when everything clicked for him as a as a prospect. He was already no. really good before that. Um, yes, well before my that. My worry with Carson Wentz is you're taking a guy who's a little bit of a project at 23 and a half, and so far yeah. that hasn't really been the best. You know, Ryan Tannehill is like one of those guys where it hasn't really been the best yeah. result so far. He's actually He's actually kind of similar to – I mean, he's like a giant Tannehill. Big tall white guy, some mobility, um, strong arm. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, true. 
Got some things. But there. is Ryan Tannehill going to, you know, win you more games than you should as a franchise? Is Carson Wentz? I don't know. That's rather a question. question. I mean, let's say he goes to the Rams. I'm not saying that's what would happen. Let's just say. Well, him and Sean Mannion just wear matching matching pajamas. Him and Sean Mannion may as well have the same. They'd be like like Fargo in L.A. That'd be kind of weird, yeah. Yeah, it'd be like the Twilight Zone, dude. Like, what do you... It could happen. I just don't see why the Rams are... I mean, I think they're going to re-sign um, the Air Raid dude, right? They're going to re-sign... Case uh, Keenum? What, what's his name? Case Keenum? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I heard they're going to re-sign him. And then I think hey, they sure, sure. re signed Foles, right? And then they have... Mainly, <laughs> I guess. I guess. They could. They could, and this would be controversial. But they could bring back Sam Bradford. Oh, no. Actually, if they could, that might uh, that might be, you know, an upgrade over Foles right now, right? I mean, from from what everyone feels like is that Foles has been, I guess, not what they were promised. Uh, I guess. I think he could be he better than come back. Yeah, they were promised. I think he could be better than something Foles. other than Nick. They were promised something other than Nick Foles. But here's the thing, though. Sam Bradford goes to L.A. He could start his acting career earlier. Then you, you know, like that could that that would be something for him to do. Maybe try that route, right? You know, start his acting career. <laughs> yeah, that could be fun. So, what kind of roles could would Sam Bradford be getting exactly, Jim? Um. You do a couple soaps, you know, a couple soap operas, uh, you know, whatever's on MTV, you know. Uh, I kind of seem like a like one of those ocean shows, right? Where it's like a bunch of rich people that live on the ocean and beef about stuff, you know, and have relationship problems. It could be like one of the the boyfriends. Oh, like on. real world. It'll be like real world. Yeah. 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 You can do that. Okay, so this week on The Real World, Sam is coming to grips with the fact that everybody else wants it to be a hot tub, not a cold tub. Come on. Why is it ice in a hot tub? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that, that could work. Uh, yeah. I mean... Cutter Cook seems more like the Rams jam, though. I mean, if I'm Jeff Fisher, well, and I'm trying to think of Jeff Fisher quarterback <laughs> who has some questionable off the field stuff, Terry Collins. Wow, that'd be Cutter Cook. Well, remember, remember he drafted Jake Locker, so yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't, know. I don't want to get into the sad story of Jake Locker. I, I, I just, and I don't want to say that Cutter Cook is uh, Terry Collins by any means, but, you know, that's just something. Just throwing out big, tall, white guys. I'm going through the Rolodex of big, tall, white guys, and I think he has a much better chance of becoming Terry Collins than he does becoming a, you know, Peyton Manning or, you know, yeah. any of those other sort of varieties. 
I, I could see I could see that a lot, Kerry Collins, and especially early Kerry Collins where his arms were mm-hmm. stronger. And, yeah, I could I could see that. Um and that's what I was alluding to is that maybe Cook could be that, you know, middle of the road guy, you know. Uh, I think if he's on the ghost with him with a playmaking receiver, he might be he might look a lot better than he really is, which once again still won't be great, but um he can get by, you know. He, he might he might get by. He might hustle a few years out of a team and finish his rookie deal, hustle a big contract, and maybe people see kind of a little bit more of his downside. I, I, and then he could just and then he could just kind of whitehurst it from that point forward. Is that what you're saying? I think it can happen. Now, like I said before, I, I don't love him by any means, but. Um, and another thing is that if people do take him, you know, a lot of people like to window dress their pick by saying, oh, you know, he'll sit behind the guy. No, like, Connor Cook really needs to not play as a rookie. Like, he really <laughs> needs to not play. Like, don't, you know, it's not lip service. Like, just really don't play him because he has to learn how to make. Like, he, knows, he needs to learn how to read the entire field before he throws the ball. He needs to learn how to deal with what happens when the pocket isn't perfect and he's got to get rid of it. Like, there are certain scenarios that I think Michigan State made sure were either rare, rarely happening, or never happened. Um, and as a result, Cook looked, you know, okay. But, um, yeah, he, he, I think he can still a few years. If he leans, if he winds up on a team, like let's go to Bizarro World here, and let's say he gets, to, he gets taken by Dallas, um, he, he can make some money just throwing to Des Bryant. Like, like with the, behind that offensive line, he can make some money just, just, just throwing to Des Bryant. Not even being clutch, not even being a playoff quarterback, at least for the first year or so, but just uh, oh, just you mean being a pulling a Mark Sanchez, right? That's what you're saying. Basically, except you know what they did to Sanchez. They put the reins on him, so he wasn't allowed to throw the ball more than like 12 times <laughs> as a rookie. Like he didn't, you didn't even know what Sanchez was until year like three when the defense was starting to fold a little bit. But um, yeah, um, I think. If a team in the right situation takes him, like I said before, they're going to make him look better than he is. But in reality, I think he's going to be a, a probably a, a poor – I don't even want to make a comp right now so I see a score, but not uh, whatever your average starter is, that might be what he can be. Well, that's exciting. Isn't it? So. You know? <laughs> very, very exciting. And that's after a year, like I said, on the bench. So that's after a year. First year, if he starts as a rookie, it could be a disaster. Like in all seriousness, like it could be bad. Got it. Um, there's some good news to be had. This running back class is better than all. I think almost anybody realizes, or all, all but a few people realize. I mean, obviously, people are aware of Derrick Henry, Ezekiel Elliott, and some people. That's the only two running backs they seem to know. Like they seem to have no other knowledge of the other running backs in the class. Uh, from the Jordan Howard uh, of the world. Who? Yeah, exactly. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, my boy Tyler Irvin got a little bit of love, apparently, finally, uh, uh-huh. mostly because he won the weigh-in. Well, uh, sort of, but I mean... Well, it was a, okay, let's put it this way. It was a technical draw. <laughs> People came away going, you know what? He could be slot receiver duty. I don't know if that's a winning, but okay. I heard people say he could hold up. And first of all, people mentioned how well he held up in, in pass pro, despite the fact okay. he's not the biggest cat in the world. Sure. So I know, but 
here, here's where, and I know I don't want to get into the whole arm lengthy thing. I don't want to get to a lengthy argument about <laughs> arm length, but um, no that, 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 yeah, that was the only thing. Uh, that was the only thing where Urban was a little off was uh, he had, you know, he's five ten, hundred ninety three pounds, uh, which means that he has to run pretty fast. Uh, and then he had 30-inch arms, which was really low for a running back. In the danger zone, if you will, in terms of arm length. So, but um, but that's it. Other than that, I mean, he could be amazing, you know. He could be the outlier. He could he could be the one, Bill. Right? <laughs> he could be the one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, that's, that's, you know, that's your, that's your bet. I'm going to bet on you to be that 1%, you know. The little engine that could, if you will. Well, I do think to some extent he has a little engine that can. I will agree that it's unlikely that he'll ever be anybody's main ball carrier, and it probably is wise that he isn't. But I definitely believe he will catch the ball, block enough. He's got the ability to catch the ball away from his frame in his hands. He runs good routes. I mean, there's if you really are looking for a third down bat, I think that he would be a, a very good option. And Kenneth Dixon, you know, a yes. similarly good option. Yes, yes, Bill, yes. Well, I've been talking guy, about but... Ken Dixon forever, and I don't understand. <laughs> well, I guess it took the senior bowl, I guess, for people uh, another, to suddenly discover uh, him. Uh, uh, another guy that I, I hate to bring up the, the length argument, but um, – Sorry, I keep doing this, but uh, 30.375 for his arm length and eight and a half inch hand. Okay, so he has his arms are shorter than mine. He's got Jacquees Rogers, like, measurable. Yes, right. Because his arms and hands. Right. Well, but, okay, um, so his arms are shorter than mine, and his hands are about the same size as mine. Right. So. Or T. Rich. Kurt Richardson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's geez. why he has short arms, didn't he? He did. That's but, the thing. but how do you land on that? You know, I'm still trying to figure out the functional. I don't know. I know. I, yeah, I understand. But, I understand. This is weird. But it's it's weird. But yes, T. Rich had below average. He had the below the the threshold arm length, which is making me think. Hmm. Hmm. There must be something to this. I just have to. Investigate, but yeah, Kenneth Dixon had uh, the arms were a little meh. So, um, however, Chris Johnson had thirty point two five. So, if Kenneth Dixon runs a four two four forty, he might have something there. Maybe I don't know. I like Kenneth Dixon. Uh, I just think that uh, oh. I I see too much inconsistency, and I know they had the offensive line issues, but it was even when he was using space, sometimes he would break tackles and make an amazing play. Other times he was just dead on arrival after he got like an arm tackle here or there. But that was just my only sort of criticism on tape was you see this amazing play, and then you also see this other play where it was just over from the, from the jump once the defender got his hand on him. Um, and that, that was just something that I – was kind of like, huh, why is that? It was just something that was kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Um, like I said before, um, 
I got him. I'm just going to hope he can run inside of 4-6. If he doesn't, like I said, I'll drop all claims, move him on into the fourth-ish round, maybe later. But uh, Tape really good. Um, I know that there are some inconsistencies there, but I think what you did see was um, a guy that's got some elusive ability, and he's he's pretty well-rounded. Like, he can pass by better than a lot of these guys. Um, he's tough. Um Finishes run, got a little stiff arms, some natural shake and open field. But, I mean, just more – I don't know what he can be. I don't believe he is really the poor man's Amir Abdullah because Abdullah fumbled like 10 more times, and he, he looks completely overwhelmed in pass protection. Um, so I think he's either the CUSA version of him or, you know, maybe – I don't know if he's as powerful, but uh, I don't know. I just – he was, it just looked good. You know, sometimes you watch tape and it just it feels good. So kind of Dixon tape, it felt all right compared to some other guys I watched. And like I said, if he doesn't run inside a 4-6, there's really no discussion to be had. I'll, I'll have to move him down. But, you know, why not? Why not like this guy right now in this instance? He can pass the line, catch, and run a little bit, you know. Yeah, I get. It. Yeah, why light a candle? Yeah, and and not curse the darkness, right? Yeah, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Still there, Bill? And I guess we can touch on some of the excite, semi-excitement, I don't know, <laughs> of excitement. Uh, Reggie Ragland, of course, sort of came in there as the sort of premier. I mean, everyone sort of knew what they thought of him. And then this top ten you know, pick, you know, right. top ten edge rusher in the class, by the way. Now, that was Rush the thing that, always, that, that's the thing that threw my ear. I was like, okay, you know, he's the best Mike linebacker, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden I'm hearing that he's a Khalil Mack with better pass rush moves? No. What? The lies, Bill. The lies. The lies, man. He, what? Now, he's a good player, and I really do like Ragland. I mean, I liked him some before, and I've gone back and watched more, and I like him better than I liked him before, but Khalil Mack? I'm full rich in my blood. Well, actually, Noah Spence was compared to Khalil Mack. Oh, well, that's even worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they still, they still sold Ragland as a as an edge rusher. Someone he could be the best three four um, edge rusher in his class. Like someone, uh, I don't know if it was a guy that was working with him or something. Said it to well, his name is Chuck on Twitter. You know, yeah, that was right. Right. Well, I, I mean, I'm not familiar with him at all. No. Um, oh, you don't remember him as a player? Well, I guess you're too young to remember Chuck as a player. But yes, I mean, I respect Chuck Smith, and he's very good at what he does. But it's like with George Whitfield. I mean, he's getting paid by these guys' agents. You know, he can't very well say this guy sucks or he's okay. He can't say he's I. He's got I get that. But he's, <laughs> but he's overly bullish on these people. <laughs> In a. I agree. I bet he's getting paid $100,000 or something like that because he's very bullish. 
That's what I'm saying. And, and to me, it's kind of like, like, why are we doing this? You know, like, you know, it's clear that his agent just wants him paid and Reggie Rattling wants bigger money. And it's like, greed ruins everything. He wouldn't be very good as an edge rusher. Like, why would you want that for yourself? Like, why would you, you know, we, we're just starting to come around on you as, you know, potentially a first-round athlete. You weighed in at nearly 260 pounds, and now I have to believe you're going to run inside of 4740. And, and, and then you start talking about outside linebackers, but usually you don't have to worry about them running a 4740. So, I mean, I don't, you know, why? You know, why Why are we doing this? Why? You know, like, like the discussions we have to have, you know, just not good. It's just not very good. Look, he's a really good football player, and I'm excited about what he might do for the right team in the right situation. But don't – now everybody's Khalil Mack, right? Suddenly everybody's Khalil Mack. Yeah. Dude, most of these dudes already – most of these people aren't even Lamar Woodley. No. All right, Khalil Mack, because the one thing everybody says, oh, no, it's been Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack was shredded, man. Like, just, yeah. well. like, 0% body fat almost. He had <laughs> on top of his muscles at the combine, Jim. Like, I, I remember that muscles. very vividly. I remember that very vividly. Like, more than I'm still comfortable with, actually. Like, no, Smith doesn't have muscles on top of muscles. I mean, he, you know, he has muscles, but he doesn't have muscles on top of muscles, and neither does Reggie Ragland. So, please, yeah. stop. It's here's the thing people. I don't. Here's the thing I don't get though, Bill. Uh, this is the thing about Reggie Ragland. I like Reggie Ragland. Mm-hmm. Uh, good deal. I like him good too. Good player. Me too. Good I think we all do. Yeah. But yeah. there was a, a little linebacker a long time ago by the name of uh, you know Jeff Luck. You know Haitian. Yep. Guy from Cincinnati. You know. Yep. Um, <clears throat> very fast for his size. Could hit, man. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he crushed Could it. Could hit. Like Ragland can hit. And all that kind of stuff. No love for him, though. You know, 100%. Like, people are like, kind of, meh. Well, you know, he's I good, think, but... Right, and a lot of people were trying to move him to, to fullback. I remember that, too. It's like, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. What? Exactly. But Ragland, it's like he kind of gets a pass. Mm-hmm. And I I see Ragland as a starting, you know, again, I see him as a starting NFL linebacker. And a very good one, you know, I think in the right sort of... Yeah, three, four inside linebacker, you know, Mike linebacker. Like the Giants love Reggie Ragland. They haven't had a middle linebacker of that quality in a decade, <laughs> you know, in terms of that. Sure. But I just don't – and it's kind of like this linebacker class. It's like, how good is it going to be? It's like, well, it's going to be so good because, like, this guy's the next Luke Keekley, and this guy's the next Levante David, and this guy's the next <laughs> – like, it's like, no. What a draft we're about to have, you know. What a time to be alive, you know, for this draft. <laughs> we have these yeah, guys. but, like, I, my, my, my only issue with Ragland is just that I think there's too much hype yeah. within yeah. a certain extent. Because I think he's going to be a very good linebacker, but I don't think he's an elite linebacker. And I don't know if people forgot what that looks like, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But... Because it's been because it's been two whole years, so yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he's yeah. a very good linebacker, and I I think that it's like I did a I did a mock draft 
and I had Raglan at the bottom of the uh, the top of the second round, and people were like, "He is gonna be there," and I'm like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just you know that's 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 what I heard when they were commenting. Yeah. Uh, you know, like this is completely wrong. They ain't gonna be there. And I'm like, uh, he could. Yeah. Like, what's saying he, he he's not? Like he can go to the combine and run four eight, and everybody goes, yes. Thought, you know, we like him. I, but I'm waiting for it to happen. I'm waiting. I'm I'm waiting for this to happen. You know, yeah, if Young Cook's like a four eight one, then yes, he will be very much there. John for Harbaugh, you know, watches him run and then goes. You know, Nazi Newsom is like shaking his head yes. You know, like yes, this is all a player. Uh, he's gonna drive regardless. I, yeah, but I. Uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously the edge rush stuff, that was just, I mean, we could always talk about the, the agents being agents, you know. So they're trying to, yeah, it's like with Randy Gregory, right? When Randy Gregory came up and weighed 235 pounds, his agent spun it into, hey, well, he could play pursuit linebacker. He could be, he could pull an Anthony Barr. Like that's legit what they did. And people bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. You know, everybody was like, oh, yeah, he could do that. And people kind of went with it. So instead of overreacting to it, people, they turned it into a positive. So even if he doesn't work with an edge rusher, he could be a pursuit linebacker. Oh, yeah, it's kind of like that, I guess. But uh, I mean, right away is good. I just don't think top 10 is is uh, where he should live. Right. You know. Agreed. Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's, there's always, you know, the quote-unquote narratives about the rising and the falling and the, you know, inevitable, almost inevitable, it seems, sometimes. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite uh, draft order phrases is skyrocketing up the boards. You know, always skyrocketing up the boards, you know. Ragland or Adolphus Washington. There we go. Adolphus Washington. There's a person who was close. Oh, he didn't have a good week. Apparently. Yeah. I don't get week out of him. Close enough. No, yeah. No, he, he did. Um, people were kind of liking him. People were digging on him finally. But the thing about it is uh, if you actually watch the tape, you know, he's pretty good at Ohio State. You know, I don't, I don't know what you're expecting. You know, people say, hey, I don't I know who Adolphus Washington is now. You know, he might be okay. And, you know, you talk to a guy like me, and I'm like, oh, really? Okay, well, if you refer to some of my notes from September, you know, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe you could get a clue. I don't, I don't know. But, um, yeah, no, he had himself a week. He did good. He was good before he got there, you know. Um, well, now he's a first-rounder, uh, Montel. Well, I mean, if that's if that's how you feel, you know. Um, I want to see how he. I want to see how he tests. I don't. I don't quite see that, but hey, um, you know, that's the way it goes. You show up to the Senior Bowl, and now you're a first rounder, and this is the life we live in. And because media is a constant cycle, because we have social media and all that, things that don't matter now matter. You know, I don't want to hear yeah, anyone ever say pro days don't matter because, I mean, they should. They do. In theory, they shouldn't, but they do. Yes, exactly. They do. And all these things matter. Everything matters, you know. Well, what Jared Goff has for breakfast tomorrow might change his draft stock. You know what I'm saying? So it's it, actually. 
Yeah. 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 So see, these, these things matter, you know. They see him, you know, Instagram a picture. He's got 12 pancakes, a couple croissants, 12 pieces of sausage on his plate. Whoa, he eats like that? Oh, red flag, you know what I'm saying? So it's uh, you can't win, you know. You can't win. I didn't know much about Austin Johnson, though. I know that he was there and he was a participant, but I didn't hear much. Yep. Of, uh, well, he's big and he has yeah. pretty good get off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I saw some notes. Uh, I think maybe there was a center from Notre Dame or from somewhere that kind of gave him the business a little bit. He roughed him up a little yeah. bit. He had a couple of run ins with. A couple of the offensive linemen, and he won some, and he lost some. Not, not shocking. He yeah, yeah. This is a guy who this more. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is a guy who I've been, you know, touting forever because, you know, I, I mean, he can play. I mean, like I said, my only case is that he's better than Ashawn, you know. That's all I want you guys to know. You guys want to put Ashawn Robinson to five? Cool. I'll troll you all, put Austin Johnson to five. Fight me, you know, like, you know, I mean, that, that's all it is. You know, it's it's the fact that he's a way talented player allows me to kind of be petty with these people. But, no, I think he can really play. Um, I, I think easy transition, uh, 4-3, play the nose or the one tech for you. And I think he can do some 3-4 things. I think he's a good enough athlete. Uh, there to compete. So, I mean, whatever you want to do, um, he checks a lot of the boxes for me. He's productive. He's quick when it matters. And he knows how to get off a block. You know, he's not just standing there waiting for the play to be over, standing there waiting for, you know, Reggie Ravlin to make a play, you know. So he makes the plays himself, you know. Sometimes that's a good thing. That's because he wasn't to make plays. True. Oh, Robinson was the hype that we got for Ace Robinson. But like with you, with you, Bill Robinson, I guess because I, I got your perspective on Ace Robinson. I know what Montel's, you know, perspective is on Ace Robinson. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I have to remind myself which one he is. I mean, that's to me that doesn't seem right around when I have to continuously remind myself which. I never see that with J.J. Watt. I never see that with Aaron Donald. I never see that with When a guy is, never see that with J.J. Watt. When a guy is really dominant, I don't have to remind myself. Okay, this was last year and me. You know, it's funny because I just rewatched the old days, the uh, Tennessee and the, uh, um, the two playoff games, the championship games. <laughs> he is lost. Aishan is very lost. I mean, there's that. That people like it. And he's reasonably violent in, in short areas. You know, can cause the <laughs> you with a jackknife. So he sort of jams stuff up. <clears throat> but if you think he's a pass rusher, you think he's going to give you even five and a half sacks. Then that would, to me, that means that four of them would come from people, you know, not seeing him, not feeling him, and just running into his ball. 
and that's the only way I think he gets to five and a half. If mm-hmm. people just stop thinking and running. Right. Oh, you kind of break it up a little bit. Oh. I was just saying, in my world, uh, if you if you just want a guy who's going to, like I said, cause the 18-wheeler to jackknife, like jam stuff up, cause a traffic jam, he can do that. He's going to be great at causing traffic jams. He's going to have the, you know, the traffic copter flying over him saying, oh, man, it's going to take a while to get around there because uh, H.R. Robinson has jackknifed the 18-wheeler. <clears throat> that he can do. But if you're looking for a guy who's going to give you pass rush, and that's what I'm hearing people think he's going to do, if he gets to five and a half sacks, it means that four of that five and a half came from people, you know, not seeing him somehow and running into him and falling down. Mm-hmm. Because he's well, that's what I actually that. want to see. Because as a freshman, it was weird because as a freshman, that was the year that he had a bunch of sacks. Yep. Um, and since that year, it's been this other thing. Like, I don't know what happened. You just got sapped from him. I don't know. Um, but Saban just drained the youth from him. Uh, but uh, that's why he looks so old. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wanted to go back and look at Adam as a freshman uh, just to see, like, what was going on there. Did he? Did Alabama do something to his knees? You know, like I, I don't know, or, or his feet. But um. I do agree he's more of a power kind of guy. I just don't think people know what complete defensive tackles are, Bill. I don't know. Like, nope. If you're saying a guy's a, if you're saying the guy's a first round defensive tackle, you're telling me that he's a guy who can pass rush and is really good against the run. Like, and I know that people go. Psh. I know Darren Lee was like, Psh. gets the run. Like, this is a passing league, boo. You know, like, <laughs> but. And it the shows in his approach is, to play, yes. But the fact of the matter is, is Keekley's tackling running backs, and you know what I mean? Like, I'm just saying, like, they're, they're, I mean, you can't you can't have this sort of preference of, like, well, it's a passing league now, so it doesn't matter. The run doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. Like, no, the run still exists. Wide receiver still exists. Tight ends are still six foot. Like again, no, no, uh, Darren Lee. I, I haven't seen you cover Rob Gronkowski yet. So before you start saying you can cover Rob Gronkowski, don't say you can yet. Uh, you might be able to. We'll see. We'll see how a six foot one, two hundred three pound linebacker does covering a six foot six, two hundred and sixty pounds Rob Gronkowski. But we'll see. Uh, but I just think that. <laughs> Uh, when it comes to Aishon Robinson, he's not a complete defensive tackle. He's he's a run stuffer. He's his biggest issue is really speed uh, because yes. he's slow. Yeah. He's powerful, but he's slow. Yeah. And yep, there's a place for powerful but slow defensive tackles. Um, Say it, James. Say it. Go on. Well, uh, Seattle. <laughs> oh no. No tackle. <laughs> no tackle. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's <laughs> All right, no tackle. Sure. Maybe. <laughs> Seattle. Well, well true. I, mean, I can't argue it. I can't argue it. You're right. Seattle but. comes to mind because Seattle built their defense 
you know, when they had Alan Branch, right? I mean, we remember, right? It was so long ago, but they had Brandon Meebane, they had Alan Branch. He's powerful but slow. He's a tackle. Uh, and their pass rush came from, you know, Michael Bennett and um, Cliff Averill and those guys. And really it was coverage sacks for the most part because, you know, they you just couldn't do much. So, like, they built their defense a certain way so, like, the big slow guys could help uh, against the run and keep the fast linebackers, you know, free so they could do stuff. Certain defenses do that now, but – I just think he could just do so much better. Like, he could get a guy who does everything versus a guy that only does a certain amount of things. Um, I don't know. It's just really weird. That's all I can say. Is we, we live in a juxtaposition where people are more into the run-stuffing defensive tackles than the complete defensive tackles. Or well, I guess they're into the pass-rush defensive tackles who can't do much against the run any you know at all as well. Like, there's that other side of things. Like, they're really good at penetrating, but not very good at stopping the run. So there's that sort of thing, too. Like the Kendiches and the Malik Collins and, you know, those guys that just, as I say, they 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 penetrate and penetrate and penetrate, and then they kind of look around like, where did the running back go? Where'd they go? You know, like that sort of thing. Um, over, over penetrate don't locate the football, um, don't at least take that really hard step, you know, get your, you know, drop your hips, get your, get your, dig your arm into that offensive tackle and then readjust yourself to twist and get that guy, uh, which you have to do pretty quickly, by the way. Like, that's a big issue about it. You don't really realize that you're being influence blocked until you're, you know, too late. But I just, I don't know. It's like guys like John Reed. And people are saying Jerron Reed can play, you know, three, four, you know, defensive end and may, you know, but I don't know if he'd be like exceptional at it. <laughs> like, like he's, you know, I think he could be solid, but I see him as the same as like an Allen Branch kind of guy as well. I don't know. The, the thing I'm basically saying is, would you want to draft Brandon Meebane and Allen Branch in the top 15 of the draft? the top 20 in the draft. And I think people would think a little bit differently about those guys if people thought that way, but I don't know. But, yeah, and plus, you know, Buckner. Same other thing, too. Buckner's a senior, right? I think so. Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, you say that last. Or he's a redshirt junior. Dang, hold on. No, I think he's a senior. He's a senior. Right, right, right. So I didn't hear anything about him accepting or declining or anything like that. Um, I don't know. But apparently people don't like Buckner. <laughs> I don't really get it. And, like, I disagree with what everyone has to say about him. Like, I like, I don't know. I mean, because people say, oh, um, you know, he doesn't do too much. And he's not – I think people are looking for, like, a lot more twitch. And I'm like, well, when you're six seven two ninety, you know, you're not just – you know, like, there's – you know, he, he moves well. But he's he's not Shane Ray, you know. He he's gonna get up and move, and he's, he's you know he's fluid. And people say, well, you know, he's not much of a pass rusher. Uh, sure, he is. Look at his arsenal. You see a little bit of a spin. He does a rip move every now and then, a little swim move. I mean, it's like I don't 
I don't know what you're watching if you watch him and you don't like what you see. And then they'll turn around and say, well, hey, hey, Sean Robinson, guys. Hey, that's my dude. That's who I want to play five tag. Like, I've had this argument with three different people now about why DeForest Buckner is better than Sean Robinson. And I don't understand why I'm having it. I don't, I don't get it, James. I don't know why I have to do this, you know. <sighs> well, now you, now you feel like James Coburn every day. And when he has to take on <laughs> people on the internet, sometimes, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, G.I. Ward, he did well apparently. So, and he he apparently also was on an airplane. I don't know. I didn't know you could put G.I. Ward on an airplane, but they did. So that was kind of he, he had um, to buy two seats. I'm sure <laughs> he had to buy two seats. Yeah, two seats definitely. But I'm just saying, Jihad Ward on a... Oh, oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, the, the only thing I'll say about Jihad Ward is, is I like this case of Illinois as a five-tech, but I'll just say I'll just say it. Like, for a guy with the name Jihad Ward, which is an awesome name for a defensive tackle, it was a bit underwhelming, the tape. But, I don't know. Which... which at, and I know you guys are in the Illinois market, so, like, you probably, you know, seen more Illinois games than, than I have. Yeah, sure. So, am I wrong in that assessment that Jihad Ward doesn't really live well, up to the namesake? Oh, uh, wait, well, <laughs> well, wait, probably not. I mean, I don't think he's... Okay, it depends on how you value him, you know. Um, I think he's safe to travel on airplanes. Uh, that that goes without saying. Um, but he probably would have to buy two seats because that's a big dude. Um, but anyways, um, you know, getting you know into his fave and some of the things he does well, I'm really surprised, and I'm sure, you know, Bill was too, is that, you know, Illini players, Illini football kind of really got a nice boost from the Senior Bowl, like, as a whole. People know who Geronimo wrote. Allison is, Clayton Friedlogen, like there's some people who really got out there and were able to get their name out there. But no, uh, Ward is good. I'm curious about maybe using him. I mean, I think people want to do some interior things with him. I think if you move him and, and maybe try to do some five tech ish stuff with him, he can be okay. But it seemed like the way people wanted to use him was kind of like that four three DE, and I'm like, ah, you know, he's not, he's not that fast, guys. You know, he's not going to give you that. You know, backside pursuitish, you know, type deal, but he's he's strong, you know, and um, and he's got some length, uh, good enough length, I think, to play the role. But yeah, man, um, Duke and Ball, um, not an elite player, but I think he could be someone middle, maybe late day two, um, find himself a home. Him, and I think eventually people come around on Dean Lowry. That's another Big Ten five tag prospect who. Um, is actually quite talented. Um, I guess I'll touch on a couple more guys before we close it out. Vernon Butler is a guy that I heard literally no, almost no one discuss at all, it seemed, practically all season until the senior bowl rolls around. And though I don't hear people saying first round, I do hear people saying day two. Uh, pretty much across the board on on Vernon Butler, and I'm late first round, late first round or second. 
Well, that's not going to happen. How many guys are going in the first round? Well, we know 16? that. I mean, I'm telling you. There's going to be about, you know, 14. I mean, yeah. seven yeah. Alabama players. Oh, gosh. Uh, and eight Ohio State players. So, actually, 15 is already accounted for. Then you have the rest of the draft class. So, And we have a handful of LSU people, as always. Well, not a first round. I don't see any first round for LSU this year, but you know, maybe next year. Therefore, now you can to declare. Well, either way, people's perceptions of him have shifted rather suddenly and precipitously of late. Now, Vernon Butler is an exciting player because of his quick twitch and he's very big, but he definitely needs work. Uh, there are some things technique-wise that are clearly, you know, not quite where you want them. Uh, he's a guy that certainly can, I mean, I don't, I, I understand what Isaiah is saying. He's not a guy that I would take first. And But he definitely has you know, that talent. Well, he's just see, raw right now. Yeah, they're all definitely cuts. Amazing. Well, this is why people like us. Uh, the reason why people were doing that is Rudy Butler after the Senior Bowl was six twenty-five pounds, had thirty-four yards and nine three-quarters inch hands. If you're a team that's really in the length and size, he's your dude. So. Like, that's all I can really say. Production was a little eh, I lose the effect, which I think has a lot to do with the stuff that you were mentioning. Yeah. Um, he's a guy that has a decent switch, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it was a good venue for him because, yeah, he had tackles that are, you know, relatively move really well, show out at the senior goal. Um, but he's definitely a guy that I, uh, day one is a little fishy. Day two is also a little fishy. But, so you're just drafting based on pure athletic upside, which I don't really think you should um, all the time. He would be the guy that a lot of people would do. So he'd be a force player, is what I'm saying. Oh, yes, of course. Of course he will. Um, Carl Nassib is a guy that we've been discussing, seems like, all year, frankly, from week one forward. He does have length. He does have strength. Um, comparisons abound from, you know, Ryan Kerrigan because white uh, to, oh, gosh, who else have I seen? Um, a variety of guys, right? I mean, a bunch of them out there. Uh, he's a, a really productive player, obviously. He has length and strength. Uh, he's been well coached. He has good motor. Uh, if you look on tape, he's not bad against the run, though obviously everyone's talking about pass. He understands how to play against the run as well. Uh, there's a fair amount of buzz on him, but they're not demanding that he go in the top 10 or the top 20 or whatever. Uh, there seems to be some chance to allow him to go perhaps even a little later than that. So I'll start with you, Montel. Obviously, you've seen a lot of massive. One is where do you think 
he should be rated? And then the second question is, where do you think he actually is rated by most people or most teams? Um, sure. Uh, you know, and I, I spent, you know, a lot of time looking at NASA and, you know, there's some good, there's some weird things. I mean, first off, when he, you know, he, he wins, but he wins kind of like with bend and burst. Um, good jump off the ball, you know, as soon as it snapped. And uh, one thing I will say is that, um, you know, the, I think the the stress against the run and not being so good, I think it's been oversold. You can be very good against the run. But I do think he has some kind of coordination and balance issues sometimes that can kind of hold him back. There's some times where I see him shoot into the backfield and trip and stumble on his own feet. It's happened a couple times. And there's other times where he's blocking, and I don't know if he was ready for the ball to be snapped, but somebody just kind of rams into him. He's not expecting it. Um, but on, on a play-to-play basis, he's pretty strong at the point of attack. Um, I mean, when you look at some of the things, he, you know, that make you wonder is, you know, he, he's got the length, but he's not very flexible, you know. So because he kind of plays stiff sometimes, doesn't really change direction super well, doesn't uh, – he just plays so stiff. He doesn't have the flexibility, I guess, to kind of get the most out of his frame because he's pretty tall. I think he is a legit 6'5", 6'6", fish and probably in a range of 270. Um, but, you know, he, he plays kind of stiff, so he, he plays kind of a 6'3"-ish game, 6'2"-ish, you know, at that weight. So um, I, I just really wish whoever gets him – I think he's a 4'3", strong side defensive end. Uh, I think if they can teach him some pass rush moves, you know, deep in that arsenal, I think he can be all right. Move right there. Um, he's going to be that one move. Um, the only thing is one move he needs to work on a. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's just mostly bend and burst. He'll get off the snap, hit the shoulder, and kind of hit the guy. And it, you know, it's worked. But uh, yeah, he needs some refinement from a pass rush move standpoint. Um, and I think he's not scheme versatile. I don't think he's a three-four player at all. Um, yeah, that's kind of really all I got. Um, one thing I would say is he's got to improve his ball awareness too. A lot of times he's just he's just shooting into the backfield. Don't know what's going on, but he's there, you know. Um, I think some of the things will come in time. He's going to need some time to sort those things out. Right now I have him as a third rounder. Um, I'm hoping he tests very well. That's why I have him there, kind of a high third rounder, mid third rounder guy. Um, if he tests really well, maybe we'll talk about maybe late second. But um, yeah, I think he might, you know, show me a little bit of stiffness. But I think his broad jump is going to be super strong. I think the bird's going to be pretty strong too. And I think he'll run. I think a decent forty time for a defensive end. Uh, where people have him, people have him in the fifth. I'm confident people have him day three at some point. Um, the most generous people have him in the fifth round. Some people have him sixth, and they think he's like a long term project. I don't think he's a long term prospect. I just think for a guy that's you know, probably a senior. He's a lot more raw, a little bit more raw than a senior should be. Refinement, but I don't think he's like the super project that people are making him. Uh, people have him in the fifth, sixth round as a developmental five tech. I don't really think he's a five tech. If he was to be a five tech, he'd have to add at least twenty more pounds and be just straight muscle, um, which it's even more difficult than you know. Like, why would you do that? You know, <laughs> like it's just it's it's adding stress on top of stress. Um, but, yeah, that's what people have. Nam in the fifth, uh, probably a, a Jack, in the opinion of many. Um, just not all that great. Um, I disagree completely, but I'm pretty tempered. I like him in the third.
Speaking yep. of which, if you get him in the fair, that's the only fair. No doubt. But well, um, he's going to need a lot, lot of work. Uh, he's going to need a team that will be patient with him. Well, that's true of any of the quarterbacks. All the quarterbacks need someone to be patient with them. And it just comes down to which of the teams, because that's why I say the right things, but which of the teams lets you do the right things once they have the shiny new toy and they've unwrapped it. Uh-huh. So there have been, you know, obviously some players that took advantage of the opportunity and took care of the coaching and took advantage of the, you know, all this stuff, basically. But there's always some guys that, uh, like you said, there's some irrational love out there, and there's some guys that are slowly chipping away at people's perceptions for whatever reason about what they are or not. Uh, Jim, you made mention of Jim Brad, James, uh, I guess it is, uh, Bradbury, and then, you know, we talked a little about Harlan Miller, and then uh, I guess those are the sort of quote unquote smaller school guys, guys from FCS, whatever. There are positions where I would be afraid of taking a Division two player high, you know, interior offensive line, interior defensive line, probably any of the, of the, of the line positions just because the talent level is so different from what you're used to. Uh, but there's a lot of other things going on around, you know, Mobile this time of year and from the, you know, the agony and the ecstasy of, you know, watching a guy who's like Harlan Miller, who is a top 100 player and has been for some time, and now people are sort of, huh, you know, uh, realizing it or seeing it or, or at least examining it, and then you've got some guys who have, you know, just senselessly risen to the point where it's difficult to believe that it's realistic uh, for some of these people to participate um, or be viewed a certain way. So, Jim, if there were a player based on the things you do metrically that probably is designated to go at the earliest day two, but maybe closer to day three, but a guy that indeed has first-round potential, you know, really deserves to be called up, whether it happened or not. Jim, based on what you do, who are the most deserving players who did not get the call to Mobile? Oh, the, the players that didn't get the call to Mobile? Yeah, um, um, metrically are as good or better as the players. Right. Uh, that's that's a tough question. Uh, running back, wise, senior. There's a lot of juniors in this class at running back. So, I'm trying to think if there was anybody that because uh, Tyler Irvin kind of makes sense. You were just like going through, okay, who are the senior running backs we should call up? This guy. You know, like that kind of thing. Um, DJ Foster. Um, he's a senior, right? 
DJ Foster yes, from DJ Arizona. Foster's very much, yeah, he's very much. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, he didn't get really invited to much of anything. Uh, I don't know if he's injured or uh, or whatnot. Um, excuse me, a wide receiver, uh, Tyler Boyd. Is a no, he's a junior. Never mind. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, is Jay Lee a senior? Jay Lee? Yeah. Richard yeah. Higgins? Yeah. No. Uh, no, junior, juniors. That's the issue, Bill. Junior, junior, uh-huh. Uh-huh. junior. He's a junior. That's a junior. Um, Carlos Harris from North Texas. Yeah, I'm familiar with him. I know who he is, but why did, what what about him, I guess? <laughs> oh, special teams, maybe, you know? Um, possibly. Uh, ah, Nelson Spruce. Nelson Spruce didn't get invited to anything. You know, yeah, I guess first, right? yeah, well, he's one of my all underappreciated team guys, as I'm sure you already know. Uh, I think, like I said, when people start talking about route running, <laughs> you know, no offense to Braxton Miller and lots of other guys, but, I mean, here's one of the guys who really knows how to run routes. And obviously, though he's a fairly decent athlete, he actually needs to have that understanding because he's not going to be able to just go out there and, I mean, obviously, most people can't just go out there and, you know, throw the ball all over the place deep down the field. That's one of the things that we've talked about what the lust says for Wentz. That's part of it is, you know, look at him. He can throw the ball up that hash over here. You know, so he can do most of the things. He just hasn't done most of these things because, once again, super run-heavy team and obviously best of time, but, you know, they should be right there again next year. This uh, They have truly a real live dynasty, and those things are rare as hen's teeth in the NFL um, and pretty darn rare in, in college football. Uh, so one more player to touch on, and then we'll wrap this sucker up. So there's – we've talked about some of the, the defensive line players, obviously, and, and that's a really – Stout group, as we mentioned. We talked a little bit about the running backs and the quarterbacks. Tight end, not so much. We kind of talked about some of the hybrid, you know, uh, superbacks and uh, Fred Hoybergs and whatever else there are out there. Um, So I'll start with you, Montel. Of all the linemen that have been discussed, maybe some we haven't discussed, who's the one you think makes the biggest move between now and the win? Combine time rolls around. Who do you think is going to make the biggest move amongst the defensive line group? Um, good question. Uh, you know, I'm just I'm going to stick to my guns. I think Austin Johnson's going to do it. Um, just this week alone, I've seen a lot of people just move him up for boards. A few sources that I look at, and it seems like he's going into the high second round range. So it's like they almost want to say it. You know, they almost want to put him in the first. You know, so go ahead and do it. Uh, I think when the combine time gets here, I think he, I think he's going to test very good. Uh, it's kind of escaped me right now what exactly he'd have to do as a defensive tackle to, you know, test in a, in a great way. But 
I, I think the 40 time is going to be acceptable, not anything shocking. You know, he's a nose or he's a one tech, you know, so he's not going to crush it. But uh, I think the broad jump should be significant, and I think he'll probably surprise you with what he can do in, you know, some of the running things. Maybe the, the short shuttle might be okay, but uh, he, he's quick for a big guy. And so I, I think he should move up. I think he will move up. And I think, unfortunately, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say unfortunately, but it really appears that Sheldon Rankings, his stock is going to move up as well. Uh, I, oh, I've seen oh, very little yeah. tape on him. Like I said before, I don't, I don't know the dude's life yet. I'll get into his tape. Um, I've been kind of tied up, but I'll, I'll get into it and see how I feel. But uh, people love him, and uh, that usually means something, unfortunately. And uh, he impressed the senior bowl, and from, I, I had someone tell me that they expect him to uh, test very well, too. And like I said before, I can't I can't put in a guess on that, but okay, because if you test well and you kill senior bowl week, sometimes you find your stock rising. So um, that might be an, an you know unfortunate truth here. So those two guys. <laughs> okay. Uh, same question. Is Isaiah still with us? Okay, we lost Isaiah. Uh, same question for you, Jim. Who are the players that you think will make the biggest moves? Putting down the combine, uh, and uh, you know why? Who, who are the people that you think will have have the greatest fluidity or whatever? You know, from where they are currently perceived to when it's all said and done. Right, um, man. You know, I think I know everybody talks about Sheldon Rankins, but what about Javon Hargraves? Right, like. I, I think. Yeah, thank you. I, I, like, oh, he won the bubble award, James. He won the bubble award, so that's the first. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> these people. I don't know. They they need to anything more alone time. I don't know. But I've never seen so many people be like, "What are you gonna do with the Super Bowl?" I'm a people's asses. Okay, <laughs> um, that's what you like to do, but. Cool. Uh, I'm gonna be over here drinking this beer, but you you enjoy yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Hard came in as a late sort of interest and was better than Sheldon Rankins. I hope I didn't say that. But yeah, he was. <laughs> I I think he might rise up. He'll do better than Zach Kerr because Zach Kerr didn't get the invite. He's a senior bowl, and they ended up being a director of agent. I just in my mind, he was in the trying game, you know, and he did really well. And I just had this in my mind that you know, if, if that could have gotten invited to the senior bowl, what could have been? Um, Hargraves got invited, did really well, so I think he's going to go a lot higher than people think. Day two, day three, it's kind of you know high day three. I think kind of where he ends up, but I think he's kind of showing what he's done. Um, I think Jason Spriggs probably solidified himself as a, as a first round to um, yep. day two, you know, tackle. Um, yeah, I saw, I, I saw, suddenly people have awakened to your boy Spriggs. Yeah. Well, Red Zero Line a lot of stuff to like, just be like, he's terrible, I'm Red Zero Line. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is my gift. <laughs> you know, that thing. Um, but he beat it back, kind of. You know, like he's like, 
Hey, I'm really good. And I have a flaw, but it's a flaw that can be fixed with offensive line coaching, which is why we pay you people, you know, like that yep. kind of thing. We pay you to fix these things. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think he, he's going to uh, – Kevin Bayard, he's going to probably end up being a day two guy because of his performance. percent. <clears throat> um, the tight end class, I just don't know, man. I mean, I like Jerome Adams, but really tiny hands. Nick Vanette, like, it's a very high standard. Again, tight end, six, you know, to six four, 150 pounds. You know that. You have to have 34 and a half inch and six and a half inch hands. That didn't do that. So. He didn't meet the Bukowski, Jimmy Graham, or Sonio Gates, uh, you know, Jordan uh, no. <laughs> Cameron level of freakishness that I was hoping he might do. So now I'm a little confused. I'm perplexed, I tell you, about him a little bit. But, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think he might end up being day two, possibly, because the team is desperate. They're like, well, let's take this. He went to Ohio State, so he must be good. And it's like, Smucker, so it must be good. Like, that's kind of what it is. Uh, Shepard, I think, pretty much solidified his day two grade. Yay. In terms of that kind of stuff. Uh, if he goes to combine and runs before, he'll probably go late first, pushing it. But most likely he'll be a guy, and then he'll be amazing, and then people are going to be like, you know, wow, Mr. Shepard fell around. Like, yeah, he did. But, yeah, I said to cut a bit. I think Carew, I think, is going to go a lot higher than people think. I just don't understand where Carew's, like, they have all these people ranked above Carew that I don't get 100%. Um, I think that'll change, though. But there, there's a <laughs> lot of people that were put above. And they know character stuff. But then when you talk to, Jeff, you know, he's a pretty reliable guy. I didn't talk about the character stuff in career head. If you're a team investigating it, you'd go, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. Yep. You know? So it really isn't character stuff as much. So yeah, I think that's going to do that. In terms of running back, uh, I think all of them are day two guys. I don't see any of them first round out of that group. Um, but I think I think uh, early, I think all like, all of them will pretty much get drafted except for uh, um, I don't know some of them might not <clears throat> but we'll see uh, the smaller right quarterback it just depends I think Brandon Allen is a you know, uh, sort of he can either be UDFA or he can be a day person one. Didn't kill it, but he didn't. Uh, I don't know, but I, I don't know what to say. Like, if this guy's a first round pick, isn't he supposed to like crush the Super Bowl? I didn't read any articles saying Carson Wentz destroyed the Super Bowl. You know, like I didn't see anything like that. So it's just odd. He's just got the first round pick, and he didn't destroy anything. But yeah. Um, Jeff Driscoll, 
I don't know. Apparently, he looked really nervous. That's what I was worried about. You know, because again, this is this is not the guy that has the best practice of his life, and then has one of the worst games. And uh, I, I don't know, I, Kevin Hogan, I don't know. Um, yeah, Jason Sturgeon will go higher than people think. I think uh, Grant Glasgow will go a lot higher. I think Joe Dahl and Josh Garnett will probably be day two guys. Um, <clears throat> uh, Blake Martinez will probably go day two. Um, a lot of people have him as like a day three. I think he'll actually go day two now. I think that's well. Uh, Ketron Brothers probably will go higher than you think. Uh, we'll see. I don't think he had an incredible combine, but I think, you know, not combine, but senior bowl. I think he had a good one, so um, I think that'll do well for him. Edge-wise, Carl Nassif, and just a comment on Carl Nassif, I think he might have a Ryan Denny type of career, possibly with Carl Nassib. So, I mean, we'll see what happens, but I think he might have that type of uh, uh, career, possibly. As a... Uh, um, you guys remember Ryan Denny? I yeah. have not. I, I do not. Okay. Well, he's a white guy, he's tall, and he's a... was an edge rusher, so... Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dave Nicholas, I don't know, comes in, he's like a linebacker, a pursuit linebacker with the length of an edge rusher. I don't know what to do with Dave Nicholas. <laughs> he's just weird. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Joe Schubert, I didn't even know about Joe Schubert, you know. And one of their arms and no expense, but nobody wants to talk about that. You know, they want to call Joe Schubert a, a jag because he has, Short arms, but look at little Mr. Smith over there. You know, but whatever. Um, look at what he look at what he does with them. You know, I've seen him throw people know. to the ground. You know, like just there's one play um, against Alabama, and it's really interesting. You know, he's got a he, he's strong. Uh, Jacob Coker's running out in the open field. Schober's getting like like blocked by the receiver. He just reaches his arm out, and it basically just clotheslines Coker. Like he just kind of just. Pops him in the chest and he's running. He just falls down. <laughs> like, he just falls down midair. I was like, "Whew, that's, yep. uh, that's interesting." That's a that's a jag. Yeah, that's a jag, everyone. Mm-hmm. Look at the look at the early Clay Matthews stuff too. I kind of get what you're saying. Like they kind of, in terms of movement, they they move about the same, which is weird to say, but it certainly looks that way. Similar, you know. Somebody's obviously bigger coming out and a little faster in a straight line, yeah. but I think they'll test similar in terms of fluidity and stuff like that. That's rushers. Um, Spence will obviously go I I don't oh, I've got so much mixed feedback on Spence, Bill. I got people saying character problems issue and other people going he didn't interview very well. So like everybody's lying. I don't know who's telling the truth. You know, about no sense. But, you know, uh, and, yeah, the arm length stuff is the thing that teams are going to look at and be like, mm. you know, about. Um, I mean, we're talking, like, bottom 5% of arm length, guys. That's what we're talking about. And, so, um, and, yeah, it's not a great group to be amongst. 
Elvis Duper had longer arms than Noah Spence. Mike Freeney had longer arms than Noah Spence. Like, Isn't it weird though that that off that that arm length doesn't matter for offensive tackles, but it does matter for defensive ends, right? Well, I mean, when you're when your arm length when your arms are that small. Yeah. Yeah. Bottom five percentile. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it depends on how he tests. The closest guy, Melvin Ingram, is like the closest guy to him. Of course, Melvin Ingram has been a dominant force. You know, the second he ended the NFL, right, guys? I mean, you know, sure he had injuries and stuff, but I just don't know if that's a top ten pick is all I'm trying to say. You know, is is really all I'm trying to say. You know, there's a lot of things to say, you know, Ohio State was kind of average you know, and then does Molly get dressed as a and then has a really good season against the lower level competition, which he should because he's, you know, he's relatively talented guy. And then he goes to the senior bowl, and now he's cool, Max. So, there you go. Go figure. In terms of stuff. Um, tackles. I think you mentioned all the defensive tackles that are probably rise. We kind of mentioned all those guys. Cornerback. I mean, DeAndre Hall will probably go day three, and people will be, like, shocked by it, but I won't, you know. <laughs> um, Damn, there's lots of people. Like, Pierre Desir. I remember people were so up in arms about Pierre Desir going in the fourth round. Like, this is horrible. This is the, this is the most egregious thing to ever happen. And I'm like, dude, he's a Division three cornerback. You know, like, he's going to go in day three. I, I should be happy he even went fourth round, you know. Like, like yeah. that's, that's yeah. an accomplishment in itself. But, yeah. I, I don't think if, if Lou Riddick didn't endorse this guy as openly as he did, I don't, I don't even think he's – okay, he's drafted, but he's probably, like, a fifth, sixth round guy. Exactly. So – yeah, um, Harlan Miller is a little iffy. I mean, you know, sure he probably had a good senior bowl practice and everything. Uh, Tate is, is decent. Um, he came in weighing six foot, 182 pounds. So he needs to get on the Randy Gregory, you know, eat food oh, type yeah. of thing, you know. Like, he needs to show up at the combine <laughs> and eat at least. I'm just saying, like, Randy Gregory, you know, at, the begin- at this time last year, Randy Gregory was, like, 100 and 218 pounds. Yeah, he was pretty thin. Yeah. Right. So, I don't know if he's on that Randy Gregory diet, you know. So, uh, used to eat food, you know, lots of it. Uh, <laughs> to, to, to get to sick about six foot 195-ish, you know. If he's, he's good enough, yeah, that'd be nice. Well, well you know, Kevin uh, Kevin Johnson didn't, right? He was, what, was he, I, I don't even think he was 180. Was he he's the first rounder. I mean, well, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Kevin Johnson, you know. I, 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 as you know, I wasn't the hugest fan of him. Um, I saw him as a starter, but not a first round starter. We'll see what happens mm-hmm. in the future. So, I'll just say that much. Um, he was better than Trey Wayne, though. I will say that, though. Better than Trey Wayne. Oh, yeah. It's a very close uh, very close competition for who can be better than, than Wayne. But, yeah, you're right. 
Yeah. Uh, James Bradbury will kind of go. Hi. Kevin Peterson has got to get bigger, otherwise he's going to be a day three pick because uh, he came in at 173 pounds, which is really light. Like, that's like Holocaust victim, right, you know? Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Jonathan Jones, he needs to get a little bigger. Taylor Young needs to get a little bigger. And uh, that's actually about it. I don't know. I think offensive tackle people will go higher and stuff like that, but um, I can't really tell you. Oh, Joshua, Joshua Perry. Excuse me, that guy probably day two at this point. Oh, yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. At this point, he's going to be day two linebacker. So, you know, a lot of people had him as like a day three guy too. But I think he'll be a day I think there's a few out there that take him in day two. He's going to surprise people with how well he runs. From the tape I see, I I don't stress at all. He'll be a 4'6 guy. He he is very fast in a straight line for someone so big. Um, His thing is he's a little stiff, um, maybe a little bit more than, you know, he should be, but – um. Yeah, I think when he goes to the combine, that's when you see it, and and it won't be shocking to me at all. Um, he'll test if Ragland tests well, he'll test remarkably close to him. If Ragland doesn't, he'll test better than than, than Ragland. So, um, and I think that's where the interesting discussion goes because brothers might too, you know. And, and that's I think that's kind of like the doom scenario for the guy. But yeah, you're totally right. I, I've always liked. I've always liked Perry in the middle rounds, probably second, third. Are you there, Bill? Okay. I don't know. I guess we lost Bill. Oh, well, okay. We lost Bill. Well, um, I think he was getting ready to wrap up anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, where can people find and follow your work, Mr. Montel Hardy? Of course. I found my work on NGSEsports.com. Just click on the Draft Central tab. Or you can type in ngsc.com slash draft central, your call. Um, homepage is cool. Um, do the Weezy podcast with Josh called uh, the Draft Central Podcast. That's right. You guessed it. Um, what else? I have some top five lists coming out over the next week. I've already done top five quarterbacks. You'll probably see top five running backs and receivers. I got a little bit more tape to watch, but, you know, expect that to come out pretty soon, too. Oh, and you can find me on Twitter at Montel NFL at M O N T E L Capital NFL. Cool. And I'm of course James Gilburn. You can uh, find my work at NFLSpinZone.com, 
And you can also find me on uh, draftoburn.wordpress.com, which the link is actually on my Twitter account, which is capital J, which is capital J, little N, little C, little O, little B, little E, little R, little N1. And we also had uh, uh, Bill Carroll as well. You can find him at bcarroll138. Or you can also follow him at 11 Bravo, as in the actual word 11 Bravo, uh, 138 as well, which is his other Twitter account. And, uh, yeah, I think that's about it for this week. So, bye, everybody. And and also tomorrow, you know, the CDS radio show in the morning, um, we'll be going over Senior Bowl and have a special guest, prospect guest, for tomorrow, so you should definitely check out that. So,
Do we still have Wontel with us? It looks like we have lost Wontel. Jim, tell people where they can find the Fall 8 works there. Jim Cobar? Jim? James? Jimmy? Do we lose Jim too? Well, if you aren't following Jim Coburn and if you're serious about talent evaluation, you need to be. Uh, he's at J Coburn one C O B E R N. Uh, we had Montel Hardy. Always a pleasure. Uh, we kicked it off with Shane Alexander, and we had John uh, Stickler with us. We had a little tiny taste of Isaiah as well. Uh, it's a great time of year and there's some silliness that goes along with it as you mentioned but I'm excited to see what's going to happen with some of these guys and uh, you know where they end up and, and why the how interesting sometimes as, as the what. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.